Ladies and gentlemen, it's the turn of the 12th century and it's time for a new hero in English medieval history. That hero is Russell Crowe, an Australian man. Only an Australian man, ably assisted by an Australian woman in the form of Kate Blanchett, can truly encompass what it means to be Robin Hood and Maid Marian. That's right, it's time for another episode of Robin On, the slightly hiatus uh, subsection of the Raven On pop culture podcast, analytical analysis, critical thinking thingy that we do here on this podcast. I was about to say network. It's not a network. It's just one podcast. Who am I? I barely know myself. I'm Natalie Bohensky and I am the host of Raven On slash Robin On. And with me, as always, is my co-host. He's a man who is ready to pick up the 13th century equivalent of a telephone and throw it right at some hotel receptionist. <laughs> it's Stuart Late. Hello, Natalie. Hello, everyone. Yes, uh... I, I get the I get the picture that uh, this version of Robin Hood is definitely a telephone thrower, you know. <laughs> I mean, do we remember when Russell Crowe threw the telephone? Gosh, when was it? What, it would have been around this maybe late two thousands, early twenty tens. Yeah, was it? Around, I haven't I haven't even thought to go check, but I mean, like it, yeah. it was it would have been around this time. It might have even been earlier, you know. It, 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 pro- might, have it might have been earlier, two thousand and five or something, because it was it was sort of when he was quite huge. Like exactly, that, it was at the height of his fame. He might he might have been around Gladiator time, so I'm not sure. Maybe Hang on, even then, Russell um, Crowe. We're, we're, we're googling Crow. live on air, people. <laughs> As we, this is, this is the scintillating content you you've come back for time and time again. Yeah, we had a long break to prepare, and we didn't. We're just googling live on air. Now it's only because I just remembered that was what I thought to introduce you. <laughs> could have been any number of things. I could have said. Long before his turn as a Greek Australian Zeus in Thor: <laughs> which I still of haven't course. seen, but have been assured that is one of the better aspects, if somewhat mystifying for American listeners or viewers. What, what's so wonderful? What's so wonderful about that performance is that apparently they filmed a completely straight version where he was just doing his Russell Crowe voice, and then and then every take they were like, and now one like Con the Fruiterer. Um, <laughs> Bizarre, uh, uh, an utterly bizarre movie. I would love to talk about it someday. Um, two thousand and five is when he uh, he pleaded guilty to the assault in two thousand and five. So it there might you have go. Happened a I said that. around two thousand and five. So around two thousand and five. Yeah. So so at the height at the height of like his Russell Crowiness. His Russell Crowiness. Um, yeah. He was definitely riding high, and would then. You- uh, would you say Big Russ was like huge for Gladiator? Would you say that's when he because that's when he won the Oscar? For yeah, Gladiator. yeah, absolutely. Like Gladiator, Gladi- like he exploded in Australia with um with Romper Stomper, and that they, that got him a lot of cachet in in film circles. But yeah, Gladiator was his was his big thing. He Romper Stomped all over the place. He certainly did. What else? He did the Some of Us. Uh, that was kind of like a sweet suburban sort of drama, I think. Well, and, and, and he did, it's important to sort of mention that he did Gladiator with Ridley Scott. That was a Ridley Scott movie. Well, so he's he's collaborated with Ridley Scott a couple of times. I was going to say it's really interesting to see this film as a, a weird, almost kind of sequely of sorts to Gladiator. Yes, yes, in, in a weird way, in a weird in a, way. In an odd way because you've got the they, they bookend the twenty the first decade of the 20th century. Gladiator is 2000, Robin Hood is 2010. And it's a really interesting comparison, those two movies, to look at also when you compare this movie to, say, Prince of Thieves. Sure. Um, they're really interesting comparisons. And I say this because I was looking at the Wikipedia page and apparently one of the reasons why Ridley Scott got involved 
was because he said, where, oh, where was it? Scott claimed two previous film adaptations of Robin Hood, The Adventures of Robin Hood from 1938 and Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, 1991, had failed to hit the target, saying the best, frankly, was Mel Brooks' Men in Tights because Carrie Elwes was quite a comic. (laughs) Okay, I know you Ridley Scott, all right? I I was going to say, Ridley Scott comes across in interviews like he is utterly cracked, like just insane, an insane person. Because I don't think you can look at this movie and go, you know what? We've really outdone Errol Flynn with this. Yeah. I don't I don't think you can look at this movie and say we've outdone Prince of Thieves with this movie. Like it, <laughs> yeah. in so many ways. Even me. though it is a Robin Hood, a version of Robin Hood with a, a fighty Australian in the main role. Well, yes, that's the Errol Flynn. Yes, yes, indeed. Exactly. But but I'm biased, of course. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves is my favorite. Sure. But in no way does this match the kind of spirit that Prince of Thieves has. Oh like, no. Absolutely you know, not. And we'll talk about why, but that's me, I guess, putting my biased opinion up front is, you know, I had the strangest time watching this film because I had seen it before many years ago. I don't think I saw it at cinemas, but I saw it maybe, well, that would have been sort of post-streaming, maybe a hire, and I wouldn't have hired it. I wasn't hiring anything anymore. It must have been on TV or something. It probably it probably came on you TV. I might have seen it on a plane. I might sure. have seen it yeah, on a plane. Yeah, absolutely. This, this, is a very, this is a very plain movie, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think Absolutely. when you're slightly nuts because you're at 30,000 feet or whatever and you've had bad food and, you know, you can't really sleep, it it seems like a genius piece of work probably. But um, mm. in the cold light of day on a big screen <laughs> <laughs> with Russell Crowe's quite strange performance in full view, yes. it's a, it's an odd beast, I will say. But I just thought it was that's such hubris of Ridley Scott. Like I know you're Ridley Scott, but like to come out and go, oh, no, 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 Errol Flynn's movie? Didn't quite hit. It literally, in, you know, it captured the the genre. Yes, okay, there was yeah. a silent one beforehand, but when it comes to a Robin Hood movie, it set the standard. It's still a favorite. Oh, totally, absolutely. Like, like I it's know. still an enjoyable. As we said, regardless of the problematic qualities of its main actor, like it's still easily watchable today. Yeah, easy, fun, adventurous. Enjoyable. This movie, this more movie? of a mixed bag. <laughs> Not so much. Just to close the loop on the Russell Crowe career sort of thing, the movie that he really exploded in was uh, L.A. Confidential, which came out in 1997. Yes, that's the um, one. Yeah, that's so that was his one. massive thing. He was in. He was in some Hollywood movies. He was in like he was obviously was in, in uh, the Quick and the Dead. The I Quick think? and the Dead, and, yeah. and Vir- Virtuosity he was the bad guy in Virtuosity. Oh, I never saw um, that, but he was like no. the computer, wasn't he? The he yeah, he's the, he's the he's the weird amalgamation of serial killers. He's giving an insane performance in that movie. It's great. <laughs> he he was in uh, the Insider, and again, you know, he had the LA Confidential role, and he was sort of leading man material. And then Gladiator happened, and he was like, yeah, movie star. And he's great in that. Isn't he's that he's amazing. It's a great film. It's a fantastic. A great movie and he's great in it and I think one of the stories I loved about it is that apparently to get in shape for that movie he went out to his farm out west of Sydney and just like hacked into wheat and stuff like he just went and he didn't do he didn't go to the gym to get like cut. He went out to just get big. You want to get that functional strong. functional muscle, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like that's what, because his dude was Cro- a CrossFit farmer. before CrossFit. Yeah, his dude his dude in the Maximus whatever was a farmer before he was a Maximus general, Decimus so. Meridius. Yeah, put some, sorry. Put some respect on his name. Sorry, do you know the full speech? <laughs> no, no, I, I, I'm not. You're putting me on the spot, no. No, no, but I have this thing that there's a lot of dudes at that time and even still now can be like, my name is Maximus. Yeah. I still forget. 
husband to a murdered husband wife, husband murdered wife, father to a murdered son. Yeah, and yeah, I will have my yeah. vengeance in this life. And then, like that speech spoke to a lot of dudes. Oh, sure, just, sure. It, it, yeah, you know, it hits somewhere real. That whole, yeah, like, yes. yeah I, I want my moment to like reveal myself to the villain and be like, no, nah, <laughs> you, you killed me, but I'm back, motherfucker. Excuse mm-hmm. me. Yeah, it really spoke to people. And then, of course, he died at the end. Spoilers, sorry if you haven't seen Gladiator. <laughs> And so he got this kind of heroic death and it was very much a but I remember at the time all the CGI with the with the tigers attacking and stuff like that was all considered very Yeah, it was very, very groundbreaking. Very, very groundbreaking and and that was fun. So it's it's interesting that he's gone and how old is he? He would have been probably what, early thirties when he did Gladiator? So he's early forties here. Yeah, I think I worked out that he's yeah, he's 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 sort of early thirties in Gladiator, early forties in Robin Hood. And weirdly, um Kate Blanchard, who plays May Marion, uh, is sort of age appropriate. Like like she's she's uh thirty eight, I think, in this movie. Yeah, because they um, reading the wiki, they were gonna have Sienna Miller. Yeah. But then they recast her with Kate Blanchett because they rewrote the character to be older. And I suspect I suspect that was partly because like Russell Crowe was that bit older. So, you know, and it made well, sense. It hasn't, it hasn't stopped Hollywood before. So I mean I'm <laughs> True, yeah. it hasn't. But also, I don't know, there's something lovely about having, you know, the two Australians play classic British sort of characters. Yeah, exactly. And she's, like, for her part, I don't think it's Kate Blanchett's, you know, most amazing work. It's not going on her Oscar reel, but, I mean, like, no. Kate Blanchett always shows up, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's the thing. She just has to turn up and you're like, how do you even live and you're so genius? <laughs> you just walk on screen and everything's just like, ah angels flutter and delicate fairy lights dance behind you because you're <laughs> so luminescent you know you could power a electricity grid she's she, just she yeah, might have to she's otherworldly because of her she's got such an incredible face indeed and indeed. does so well in all that period she was there. she was perfectly cast as a thousand year old elf yes that's exactly my point. She just has that really distinctive, you know, otherworldly beauty mm. and she still looks exactly the same age and she's in her, what, early 50s now and she looks exactly the same. Like she, She's, she's well into her 50s and yeah. she looks incredible. <laughs> I don't get it. It's crazy. But um, she, has, she has something like four, five children I think it's as four. well. I think it's yeah, four. Yeah, it's four kids and, and it is insane. That's insane. Like, like she's... she's but money, Stu. Yeah. You can have you can have nannies. This is true. My money and time. You can... Money's out the wahoo. Yep. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> what about that Alec Baldwin and his crazy wife and they keep having kids, like their own kids, and they, they've got surrogates having kids as well? So they're up to about seven. They've got a whole baby kids. farm happening. They have, and they've had like seven kids in five years or something because half of them are being born by other people. Because well, they outsource it. They outsource it. Jesus Christ. It's Yeah, it's insane. But you're like, they can do that because Alec Baldwin obviously has, you know, Glen Gary, Glen Ross money. I don't know what, you know, 30 Rock money. I don't know what Alex, Alec Baldwin is is doing although i don't know now given the given the controversy of last year well yes he's not doing much we are avoiding talking about this movie is what we're doing right now we're talking about russell crowe because it's important to kind of position where he is in his career because that's true i feel now i feel like gladiator and then a beautiful mind and some of those other ones around that time of the 2000s was kind of his like peak time and then this this is definitely the cap on movie star russell crowe yeah because he's transitioned now into character actor absolutely like elder elder sort of he shows up he shows up in man of steel as jor-el and it's like yeah that makes sense like like he's this generation's marlon brando showing up in in the first superman yeah and also he's turning physically into bill hunter (laughs) 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 
he absolutely is. That, that's exactly what he's doing. Have I you mean, seen pictures of him as Zeus with the grey beard? Like he looks uh, like Bill. Yeah. He looks exactly like it's, Bill Hunter. It's it's really really interesting. And now I want to see pictures of Bill Hunter. When he, if for, if you're not an Australian, you may not know legendary Australian actor Bill yes. Hunter. He was in Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Was he? Yeah, he was. And yeah, he yeah, was he in, was. Yeah, and yeah. he was in Muriel's Wedding. He's the yes. dad from Muriel's Wedding. Um, he's in Cracker Jack. He was in a lot of things as older Ocker, like to drink kind of roles you know character roles but they were all still kind of bill hunter and so russell crowe you know he's he's older he's got the beard he's always had quite a soft face so like when he's trained hard for roles he's gone a bit like skinnier in the face but he's always he's always been a softer russell crowe you mean yeah 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 yeah. russell crowe he he never had like you know henry cavill's just got that jawline of jaw yeah yeah you know russell crowe you know, when he's in movie, like in this movie, he's he's buff. He's very well. He has a, he has a round face. Like, like he has a he has a rounded face. He's like there's, rounded there's no way face. around it. And as someone with a rounded face, you, I know that Me too. You, just, you just get a little bit soft. You know, you get a little bit of jowly softness. That's it. If, if you put on um, even a little bit of weight, the, the jowls come out. <laughs> And so that's what's happening with Russ. But he's in his fifties. God bless him. Like, yeah, I'm, no, he's, he I'm looks great. He's fantastic. Him, but he's becoming like he's he just did a movie with Stan. Is it Poker Face or something? And he's filming one in Queensland at the moment. So yes. he's kind of moving into producing. A mate of mine who's in Sydney, who's a an AD, I think, just filmed a movie with him um, earlier this year in Sydney. Um, he was mm. he was on the uh, crew member of that. So he's just kind of getting around. He he very much kind of reps Australia overseas. He likes to film here. So he's you know all sorts of good business for for Australian film. And um, but he's still sort of held in relatively well regard by Hollywood and goes and does sort of fun bits and pieces. And yeah, so his 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 career has moved on from Russell Crowe hunky leading man to Russell Crowe intense character actor. Yeah, absolutely. As you say, elder statesman. Lest we forget, he was going to be in the the Universal Dark Universe, <gasps> that aborted attempt at creating a, a, a oh, cinematic universe yeah. out of whole cloth. So that that was his whole thing. He, he had a stretch. So it, it's weird. After Gladiator, he has several of his pretty iconic roles. Like like he almost straight after that, he does a Beautiful Mind, which is obviously mm-hmm. well known. Um, he's in. He obviously is the lead in Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World, which is having a bit of a renaissance. Do you know what I on love film that Twitter movie. at the moment? That it's great. great. It's a great movie. I loved it at the time. I think it, it was deeply uh, underappreciated. And I like that it sort of come around. Well, it came around. We've talked about this before. How he got on Twitter. Someone was bagging him out, saying that I put on Master and Commander when I need to go to sleep at night and Russell Crowe like called him out in response and went it's a wonderful Peter Weir yeah. uh, you know story of adventure and courage at the other side of the world and 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 everyone was like fair go Russ fair Enjoy work, Absolutely. You know? but yeah I remember going to see that at the cinema and just really enjoying this kind of you know adventure sea faring whatnot yeah, absolutely. Good fun. Um, he's in uh, Cinderella Man and A Good Year, which is sort of two sort of low-key things. And then he's in um, 310 to Yuma with uh, Christian Bale, oh. um, which is a great movie, great Western, really great. It's a remake of, a, of an older Western of the same name. Yeah, um, and it's And it's a great movie. It's really, really good. He's in American Gangster. And then- I saw that, I think, with Denzel Washington. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then it's sort of, he sort of falls away then into like generic thrillers because he's in like Body of Lies, State of Play. I saw State of Play. 
of play because I love the original BBC version with um, John Sim. Yes, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Russell Crowe plays the John Sim character. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and he's, then he's in his Scruffy Russ mode in that absolutely, one. You know yeah, Scruffy yeah, Russ, like yeah, when Scru- he does, Scruffy like, Russ, yeah. not Scruffy. not full not full bearded Russ, but but definitely Scruffy Russ. Scruffy Russ, like smokes a cigarette, drinks coffee out of plastic cups. Scruffy Russ. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then in 2010, obviously, is Robin Hood, and that kind of puts a cap on the whole movie star era of. Russell Crowe, because after that, he sort of falls away into these character roles. His big one, obviously, was as Javert in Les Les Mis. Oh, God, I um, forgot about Les Mis. Oh, my God. Um, Because, of course, you know, know, Rusty famously uh, has his uh, band 30-odd foot of grunt. Yeah. So he considers himself a bit of a singer. You know, he's got a a passable baritone, I guess, Um, you know. But he, uh, he kind but, of shouts oh, every line in that film. Can he, I tell he really you, does. It's, can I tell you a, still, that is the only version of Les Mis I've ever seen, is that film. I've never really? Seen you, you've never show. seen it? You've never seen no. it on stage or, or anything? No, nah, never. I watched the film and was like, they're all really straining. And then I've watched something. That is a musical that really only works on stage, I think. Well, it's sort of almost like a concert, isn't it? They kind of stand at the front and sing it. Well, I mean, that they know people get the idea because they have these anniversary concerts that they put on. Oh, is where, that where what they, that is? they get all that they they get like a massive choir and they get they get uh all of the previous like uh uh Jean Valjean's and Javert's to come and sing like together and all that sort of thing, um, which is fun. It's 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 great, and you know you get you get some of the best musical theater performers ever all on the same stage. It's incredible, but that kind of gives you a weird idea about what the show is because you've got this enormous choir just belting, yeah. you know, one day more at you and stuff, and it's like, <laughs> oh, this is incredible! Like they're waving flags and. <laughs> But you see the show, and the show's actually not bad. Like, the show, like, there's a reason it's so popular, because, like, it's quite affecting. But it works on stage, uh, and in it doesn't... We could talk for hours about the film version of Les Mis and, and the various reasons it's it's a weird and broken movie. Um, <laughs> but, there's, there's a couple of great YouTube. I think maybe Lindsay Ellis did one. Yes, yeah, yeah. You kind of rewind. I'm not too sure. But there's a few good deep dives onto, um, which is where I sort of learned about how they all were singing live. Yes, yeah, yeah, they they wanted them to sing live. But, of course, they sort of break down why that's quite hard to do when you're acting because you've got to have certain singing, you know, the physicality of singing while acting can be different and when you're stopping and starting, you're not sort of in the moment like you are on stage. Um, I'm probably not explaining it the best, but... um, also, also because Hugh Jackman was like starving himself to be so skinny for yes. um, for Jean Valjean, and then there's like moments where they're pointing out you can see that he's like really hoiking up, like he physically doesn't have the stamina to get through some of these songs. And then yeah, Russell which are Crow, quite like the Jean, the Jean Valjean songs are, are famously intensely difficult to sing. Yes, and he's going, ah, ah, ah. but but Russell Crowe then is just kind of going, I am Javert. I yeah, like, like this. <laughs> he wanders on. Here. He wanders on looking. Pretty husky, I've got to say. Like you know, like not not to shame the man, but he he has not been doing the Hugh Jackman starving himself thing. No, he is no. very much walking walking on set and going, "I'm Javert." <laughs> it's it's all very that sort of speak singing recitative stuff. And and, and and of course, like the, the the show is like that. Like like the, the stage show is like that. It, it's sung through, but it make but it makes sense on stage because well, that's a, a that's stage an accepted musical. stage thing exactly it's a stage yeah. musical you should see it you should go if you get a chance to see the stage show oh, like you really should it's, it's quite a thing somebody'll do a production somewhere and I'll, yeah. I'll go see a I'll go see an amateur version of it <laughs> so I'd only ever seen that one and I was like ah you know and then Tom Hooper obviously went on then to go you know what Les Mis was great let's do cats <laughs> <laughs> Best decision ever. Yeah, great decision. 
Well, I've never know. never seen a, a director go from like critically acclaimed to just jail immediately. Yeah. It will be years before he works again. And they won't let him do a musical. They again. won't let him do a musical. It'll be some little indie mm. thing. He'll, he'll make something for streaming. So Rusty does Les Mis and is kind of raked over the coals for it. Sure. Uh, by a lot of people. And then, yeah, then then Superman, I guess, is what he fetched up as next. He yeah, I mean, he, he, was in, he was in a couple of things. I mean, he was in, he was in Les Mis. He was in Man of Steel as Jor-El uh, in 2013. God, that was a long time ago now. And he's in a couple of things. Like, he's in The, the Water Diviner, which he was sort of yeah, a, a he kind producer of, on. He kind yeah, of was a real driver of that. that. Yeah. Um, he does a great turn in uh, The Nice Guys. Do not know that one. It's a Shane Black movie with um, Ryan Gosling. So it's sort of a buddy comedy, crime comedy sort of thing. Uh, and he, he's, he sort of plays a, plays a, a fixer hitman sort of guy in that one, and he's he's quite good. There you go. But then he kind of goes away. Like he's in he's in like little bit parts in you know the, the, he's in he's in the Mummy, uh, which was the the attempt to start the Dark well, Universe. Yeah, and- just just to bring back to that because that was a really interesting idea to do that because he was Jekyll, wasn't he? Like Doctor. He, he was going to be uh, yeah Henry Jekyll, Doctor Jekyll. Because he yeah. was in the one with Tom Cruise, the Mummy. But he was sort of set up as like the Nick Fury character who was gathering all these people together. Oh, right. And the, the idea was you were meant to think he was Van Helsing, but then it, the big reveal was that he was Henry Jekyll. That might be wrong. I haven't actually seen oh, the movie. I'm no, talking out of school. Weird. But like that whole thing was just so like they did they did photo shoots, they cast everyone, and then it just the mummy was terrible, and so they just said no, we're not doing this. It's a kind of a shame because that could there could be a bit of fun there if well, I, the, the trouble. The trouble is, so I mean, yeah. serious, like so serious. It's like if you put a little bit of campy fun. Like imagine having a. There, there's two problems with it. One, the mummy already exists with Brendan Fraser, and it's perfect, and you don't need to improve upon it. Like true, you know. True. And two, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen also exists, which is doing basically the same thing as yes. what Universal wanted its Dark Universe to be. So it's kind of it's starting behind the eight ball in two different ways. And it completely failed to live up to either, which is which is saying something when it comes to LXG. Well, that's what I meant because the, the, that one didn't really do super well. I can no, see it why was they bad. thought, oh, we could gather all the you know Draculas and and have adventures, but also they're monsters. So maybe yeah, I could see there being a bit, and also being called the Dark Universe. That sounds really cool. It's a good name. <laughs> it's got cachet. I want to see Dark Universe. Like anything dark sounds cool. Dark matter. Dark. Sky, dark, everything, dark, dark lady, Shakespeare's dark lady, dark anything sounds good. Dark is just a really good. I am, I am astonished to find you somehow in the target demographic for Universal's dark universe. This is incredible. And, I, and the thing is, though, I'm not, I just, I love an adventure and I love a random, like, I loved The Mummy. I don't think I saw the, th- I don't think I saw the third one. Maybe I did years later. But those first two mummies, mummies, even with the dodgy CGI on the rock as the king of the scorpions. Like, <laughs> That's charming now, though. I, I it like is, that. It's very sweet now. You look at it and go, oh, my God, a six-year-old could do better on Photoshop. Like literally there are TikTok filters that are more convincing sure, than, yes. <laughs> than the CGI in the first mummy or the second mummy film. But coming back to adventures then, let's get into this film, which is supposed <laughs> yes. to be an adventure film. And I find well, well, is it though? I mean, this, this is what is... I mean. This is what I, this is what I want to discuss with you, Stu. Would you like to go first on that on our minute challenge? Because sure, I'd I, love um, to. I'd love well, to. Can I just sidebar? Can I just yes. sidebar? A couple of things. I have a new microphone, so I want to thank everyone on Patreon because my old microphone carked it. I'm not sure what has been going on with that, but um, thank you to my patrons because I was able to purchase a new microphone to record with, and it does 
face to face. So when Stu and I get together, we can we can use it too as well. So it's multi-purpose, multi-use. Thank you very much. Secondly, I've somehow managed to get this podcast onto Spotify. So if you listen to Spotify or you have Spotify, you should be able to search for Raven On and find our whole back catalog. I just kind of clicked, yep, here it is. And it seems to be there. We'll put that out as well on the various social medias. Yeah, for, for a long time, we thought Spotify was just closed to us. So, and now suddenly we're there. So if you, if you use is, Spotify, please, please listen. The thing is, I finally looked it up and tried it. So that's the difference, Stu. <laughs> years, I've just <laughs> been going, I don't know. And then I spent five minutes. <laughs> Looking it up. And went, the, the, the difference is you spent five minutes actually trying to do it and realized you could do it. five minutes. I watched a tutorial video and went, okay, I'm going to try and do the things and did some things. And then I checked earlier today and went, oh, it seems to be there. So hooray. So if you're on Spotify, you can now follow us there. But because we're on Spotify, I was clicking listen to a few, I was sort of listening to a few tracks because Spotify actually updates the proper little artwork that I update for each relevant subsection podcast imagey thing. And so I ended up listening to a bit of our final episode of Game of Thrones. Remember our live show? Oh, yes, yes, absolutely. We did live shows for the last series of, of, uh, of Game of Thrones. An incredi- an incredible night. It was fantastic. And we had such a good night. I got Stuart cake with Tom and Giant Spain's face on it. Um, Amazing. Lots of people bought me Diet Cokes. <laughs> Yes. Which was great. Ask and you shall receive. I've just been listening to that episode again and um, it was it's really fun and very funny and Stu's on great form and I'm just slightly hysterical. There was there was definitely an end of school feeling to the whole to the whole thing. There definitely was. And I realized that I had said, Oh Stu, you go first with your minute challenge. You said one thing which was about wanting a Juice South style TV show that just follows the adventures of Tormund Jon Snow and goes solving crimes north of the wall. I, I still want that show, by the way. I know, we all do. I, th- I think we might actually be getting it. Like, like that's that's basically the Jon Snow well, show, right? Yeah, like, let's not side by the side. <laughs> sure, yes. Because <laughs> George R. R. Martin has talked about this Jon Snow show called Snow. I am on board, but we can talk about that later. But anyway, so, so Stude says that in his minute challenge, and then somehow I just took over... And then just did my minute challenge. <laughs> and I haven't I haven't reached the point in the re-listen of this podcast to find out if I actually realized that I just totally, I totally cock-flocked your minute we, challenge. We were, we, <laughs> went straight into mine. We, we, were, we were going with the flow that night. It was fine. It was we just were. going with the flow. It was like, Stu, you go first. Really important. You go first. And he says one thing. We start talking about it. And all of a sudden I go, well, I had on my list this. And then I just kept going. <laughs> So to apologize for that, Stu, you please start with your minute challenge. All these, all these many years later. I will sit and listen in respectful silence. Fair enough. Well, well yes. But please, please do. I mean, this podcast isn't going to work if you just don't yeah, talk. Yeah, true. That's a good yes. point. Good point. Good point. So the first thing on my minute challenge was this isn't a Robin Hood movie. Ah! Um, which I don't know whether you felt this as well, but like even going by the conceit that like this is basically like Robin Begins. It's not a Robin Hood movie. It's it's a medieval intrigue movie. It's all about it's, you know plotting by France to take it to invade England and 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 the signing of the Magna Carta. It's basically a Magna Carta movie, Stu. That, that's what it is. This is a Magna Carta movie. This isn't a Robin Hood movie. Like like there, there's a fundamental difference. Like Robin Hood is a landed gentry in this movie. Like fair enough, he's impersonating one, but like he's a lord. He's a, he's one of the barons. I mean, he's an earl technically. I think, but this isn't a Robin Hood movie. I think fundamentally, deep down. Even though it has 
Robin Hood. It has the Sheriff of Nottingham. It has King John. It has like Little John and yeah. Will Scarlet and everyone. Like all the bits are there. It is, it is a magic funhouse. It's not a Robin Hood movie. A Robin Hood movie, yeah. It's so bizarre. It's, it's a bizarre watch. It's so strange. And continue with our minute challenge, and then I, there's some really good stuff in the Wikipedia about it, about how it all came about, and I think yes. it explains a little bit why it is the way. Absolutely, you know, we can get into that. But yeah. Okay, so the, the next item on my list was uh, Kate Blanchett could make the phone book Oscar worthy. <laughs> um, she's just incredible. Like, just wonderful. Just a good actress. Now. Interesting accent, but she pulls it off. Well, she she's doing like northern, basically. Yes. Like, or Midlands, I guess, which is yes. where Nottingham is. Um, yes. Which is a, which is a weird choice because again, like at this point, everyone would be speaking French. You may as well just do random English accents. But they even because... they even make a joke of that when Mark Strong, what's his name, Godfrey, yes. is talking to the uh, Philip of France and is going, no, 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 speak in English. Just for all the dumb Americans who don't want to read subtitles. Sorry, Americans. It's clever the way they do that because they frame it as like, oh, we can speak freely in English because everyone around here is speaking French. Ah, yes, good point. Um, which is a clever way to do that. I, I didn't mind that. I thought that was quite clever because it, it, it is literally just, we can't have too many subtitles. So quickly, we'll we'll switch to English. Mm. The next item on my list, ironically, is accent, specifically uh, Russell Crowe's, who <laughs> right. um, famously uh, has like a, a weird, like it's almost a York. <laughs> Burr? Like it's it's like I don't know what he's. It's, 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 it sounds Irish at times. Yeah, he. There's a few um, Scottish. There's one. There's one line that he says that sounded like so broadly Australian. It was like, "How's Sir Walter?" Or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And, and he and, he's, and yeah. sometimes he just slips back into like either his his native Australian accent, which is quite strong, or his gladiator accent, which is just like a, a weird received like yeah. sort of received pronunciation yeah. sort of thing. But but then like other times heightened... he's trying to do like a, a bit of a bird to it. It's it's weird. It's all over the place. If yeah, it was yeah. one thing, you could say it was a choice, but it's all over the place. It's never the same. But then too, come on, the guy's been in Europe and the Middle East fighting on crusade, you know. You you go traveling, you pick up accents. <laughs> That's true. We've all done it. We've all gone on a holiday and come back with a little lilt. We've all gone on a holiday thing. and we well, I was just in New York City. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow that that might that might just be you now. Somehow <laughs> I've become May West. <laughs> Is that a gun in your pocket or no? No, it's actually a gun in your pocket. Okay, here's my money. <laughs> the next item on my list is uh, stacked cast. Um, this movie oh is Lord. insanely stacked. Insanely stacked. I had in mind not to take a thunder, but I just had so many celebs. Yes. As I was watching, I wrote down. If I go through sort of the notes, I was trying to. I'm trying to be better and use my iPad for taking notes my writing with my eye pencil is just extraordinarily bad anyway so it's things like this, this is literally what i've written down is that oscar isaac yeah oscar is isaac that, is in this movie as, as that, prince john is that leah sedo yes from james bond yes is, 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 is that is it mark strong who was like oh okay he's got mark, mark strong doing his villain thing which is great max von sidow as sir walter loxley william hurt as, as William Marshall, like a real historical figure. Yeah, yeah, And then, and then it's, it's, it's uh, Robert Baratheon. It's been bloody Robert Baratheon as Fry Tuck. And then I was looking at the cast list and I, I don't know, I've recognised his face, that the guy who played Little John. He's got like this recognisable face, but I don't yes. really know yeah, where yeah. he's Yeah, he's, he's been in he's been in lots of like British things, obviously. Just British things. Um, but there's also Matthew McFadden as the, as the Sheriff of Nottingham. Matthew McFadden, Mr. Darcy. 
<laughs> in the first scene, I didn't recognize him because he's got the, the wig and the beard and he sort of tries to kiss Marion, like, ah, ha, ha. And he is given literally nothing to do in this movie. But we, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. The, yeah. the, the role of the sheriff of Nottingham was crazy. But then I looked at the cast list and down the, at the bottom as Sheriff's Thug, so hanging around with Matthew Fadgen as the sheriff of Nottingham, Sheriff's Thug, Luke Evans. Yes, yes, Luke Evans is just in this AKA movie. Like, as a from yeah. the live, you know, from the live Beauty and the Beast. Sure, yeah, yeah. Many other Welsh actor, The Alienist, he was in that one, which is really good on, on Netflix. But, yeah, you just got people like that who have gone on to be big names and then. No, absolutely. Jessica Rain, uh, who's yes. been in a bunch of things, is Princess Isabel. Scene. She has like a one scene one scene where scene. she's crying outside the door. She was in Line of Duty and I looked at her yeah. and that's the chick from Line of Duty. <laughs> and then did, didn't you think there was a guy, one of the barons, like the nice barons who who were trying to hold up against. I just love seeing all these kind of older British character actors who are always in like little comedies and things or, or yes. mysteries. Anyway, one of them was Father Ted Unctious. Oh, right. Father Ted. I don't yes. know if you remember. Father Ted is is just one of the most genius sitcoms ever written. It's incredible, there's, yeah. There's a, a, a Christmas episode where this random priest comes to stay with them and, and he's like, it's me. And they're all like, we don't know who you are. And they're trying to be polite and find out who he is. And um, Mrs. Doyle just keeps asking names, going, are you Father Hurley Whirly? Are you Father Michael McDonald? So, and, and he just keeps saying, nope, nope. And she just keeps guessing. And he says, do you want me to tell you? She's like, nope. And she just keeps guessing names. And eventually she says, Father Todd Unctious. And he goes, yes. And she's like, ah, I knew I would get it. This is like 50 names <laughs> in. And then he turns out to be a thief. He's there to steal the Best Priest sure. of the Year award or something. Anyway, and that's Father Todd Unctious. So as soon as I recognised him and clocked him, I just couldn't stop laughing because I'm like, it's Father Todd Unctious going down with you, Prince John. <laughs> I just love I love that about I've been re-watching to just to show because it's been a while since we've caught up Stu on mic to, to do a pod just due to various shenanigans post you know House of the Dragon ending mm. I've been going through um a lot of comfort tv a lot of just like I just don't sure. want to really think I just want something niche boutique deliciousness so I've been on Britbox again and uh very nice I've been going through. They they re, they released another series of the Endeavor show, which is the Young Inspector Morse, um, <laughs> which I watched. But that was only three episodes, and it's winding up next year, I think. But then I realized I never watched Lewis, which was the spinoff of Inspector Morse with oh. Lewis as the inspector. Oh wow! Which ran from about two thousand and five six to like twenty fifteen. So there's like nine or ten series of Lewis. You know, like oh, I sir. <laughs> I can't do it. He's got a northern um, Newcastle accent. Yeah. Uh, Geordie accent. Anyway, and so there's nine series of this, and I'm like, great. Each there's one, nine know, series of that? Well, each series they, is like four episodes. Four episodes. I was about to say, yeah, it's British yeah. TV, of course. I'm, it's I'm not, they're, not, they're not massive, but it's still a massive smorgasbord of never-before-seen Oxford-based murder mysteries. <laughs> and it is just delightful that every episode there's some British celebrity or some, you know, Game of Thrones cast member or so, like the one I just watched had um, Jimmy Perez from the Jimmy Perez, what's it called, Shetland, which was another murder mystery where he's the cop. But anyway, before he was in that, he was in Lewis as a, you know, a dodgy guy. And you just like, there's this guy from Game of Thrones and there's this woman from, you know, oh, look, it's Anna Chancellor from Four Weddings and a Funeral. Sure, yeah. And, he, you know, and it's just like spot the Game of Thrones cast member. I love it. So that's what this was like too. But there was a guy in this film who I swear to God, do you remember how in the very first episode of Game of Thrones, 
I, I am going somewhere with this. Ned Stark like cuts the dude, the dude who like saw the White Walkers, and then yes, yeah, 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 that that actor, yeah. And he, uh, he I'm, I'm pretty sure he's in this. Yeah, he is. He's the scared guy who runs away. In this movie, he's the scared guy who runs away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got a type. Hey, he's he's, he's found the, his niche. I know, but he did this before Game of Thrones, and I just wonder, like, did they see that? But he's he's like this skinny, scrawny guy. He realizes that King Richard has been shot in battle. Russell Crowe and his mates have all been put in the stocks because Russell Crowe was was like the king goes, "Hey, tell me honestly what you think of uh, my war campaign," and Russell Crowe's like, "Yeah, it's fucked, mate. Uh, <laughs> we just killed a lot of innocent people. We're not going to heaven, and that's my honest truth of it." And the king goes, "Hey, thanks for your honesty. Uh, you're all bugging. <laughs> you're all in the stocks." <laughs> um, and so he runs and tells them they're dead, and they're like, "Okay, well, free us, and we're going to run away because king's dead now, and everyone's going to be." You know, we have to make our own luck now. And then he promptly gets killed. So he like yes. literally exists to free Russell Crowe and then get killed. And I went, that looks just like the guy. And that would have been filmed not too long after. Like, because this was filmed in 2009, I think, came out in 2010. And then yeah. Game of Thrones would have been fil- filmed in 2010, the first series. Absolutely, so, yeah. Just, so he, he was he was right in the pocket of that niche. He was a he was weird scared I mean. guy who just, runs away and gets killed. I just love finding these odd little beans of... But Oscar Isaac? Like... Isn't he American? Well, like American. I mean, he's guy. he's American. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But um, but like, I didn't think he was really a known thing until Star Wars. Like, oh, he was he was on the up. I mean, but this is this was definitely one of his early roles. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and he's fine. Like, I think he's obviously gotten better. He's fine. Everyone's um, fine. Like everyone, everyone's. Yeah. I, I couldn't. I couldn't point to a bad performance in this movie. Really. I mean, there's obviously like Russell, Russell Crowe doing Crow, his accent, but Russell Crowe is the one we have to talk about. I think. Yes. In terms of performance, but but we'll talk about that. But it's sorry, finish your finish your showing list. Up. Finish your list. The next up on my list, just quickly, was I, I mentioned. Uh, I just sort of said Ridley Scott um, because obviously this is a Ridley Scott film. Um, this was a a weird period again in, in sort of his career. He keeps coming back to this sort of this sort of milieu because he's he did Gladiator mm. and then he did Kingdom of Heaven in two thousand five. Oh, that's right. And then he did Robin Hood in twenty ten. You know, and and then. And then he went back and did The Last Duel most recently in sort of 2021. I haven't um, seen that, but I... Neither have I. Apparently it's very good, like way better than a lot of people expected it to be. Was that just like a sort of a COVID victim? Like it just didn't get the release because... Yeah, exactly. Like like it came out on streaming and and people people reviewed it and and because it stars Ben Affleck and Matt Damon... Is Ben Affleck in it as well? Oh gosh! Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He plays, he plays like the the prince. Yeah, they, 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 it was, it was, it was reviewed kind of poorly, and then there was a second wave of reviews that were like, actually, no, this is quite good. But yeah, I, I haven't, I've, I've yet to see it. It's one of those, one of those many oh, it's, it's pandemic Adam, movies that uh, I haven't Driver. yet to see. Adam Driver was the other main. And Jodie Comer, sort of oh, Jodie Comer, Jodie Comer's in it. Yeah, she could, absolutely. She's like Kate Blanchett. She can absolutely. do anything. Yeah. Um, if anyone is the heir to Kate Blanchett's skill, it's Jodie Comer. She's a she's a knockout. Mm, she's very um, good. It's on Disney Plus, so there you go. Yeah, Maybe I'll have to try and track you, it down. You can just watch it. It's it's out it's out there. I think it dropped yeah. on Disney Plus, so that's out there. But but at the, at the time, he was sort of coming off the back of lower key movies. There was obviously American Gangster, Body of Lies, um, A Good Year. Um, he'd, he'd done Kingdom of Heaven uh, sort of five years previously, and then he'd done sort of several lower key movies. And then this was kind of supposed to be like a, a bit of a return to form, a big big blockbuster, like a big character. Russell Crowe, obviously, in the lead role. You know, he was sort of meant, this was meant to be, I think, like his big foray, and it kind of just fell flat just because of its weird development, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a second. Well, it still made, I was really hit, $320 million worldwide. Sure. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, I mean, this is back when you would put a film like this in the in the movie in the movies, and people would go see it. True, it was no, a different is, world, different that time. Is true, and it's only you know that's only twelve years ago, and still, and also pre-pandemic. Yes, yes, of course. I'm just trying to see what their budget was. It just says somewhat disappointment, even though films set in medieval times tend to fare poorly, and Robin Hood actually ranks among the highest-grossing fantasy films of all time. But it was still seen as something of a disappointment, box office-wise. Wow. Um, well, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Is that your list or? The only other thing that I, I noted, I just noted it right at the end because I, rem- I remembered it, is the title card of this movie. It has like a Disney or it has, I, I wonder if it was meant to be like a, a an homage to the 1938 version because you know it what, has like Stu? a weird. Stu, I'm going to yeah? take over from you there. Please do. Because on my list is there are lots of bits from other Robin Hood movies in this movie. <laughs> whether yes. or not it was deliberate, whether or not there's just certain things that you would expect with anything that's kind of medieval themed mm. or set in medieval times, whether there's certain things from the Robin Hood story that just happen in a certain way. But to me, there are elements in this movie that really harken back to other things that have happened in other Robin Hood movies. So, for example, the title card was like the Robin Hood animated with the sometimes yes, yeah, yeah. makes an honourable man to make a stand and and it's you no know, it's absolutely like in Robin Hood Prince of Thieves there are title cards but it's literally white text on a black background yeah and whereas this was this was like a it's, book it's the full on parchment yeah you know with the oldie worldie monk writing well, like you like you had you were digging into an ancient parchment and this is That's this right. is the, the, the true story you and know? it's got like a flame behind it so it's look like it's lit by candle and there's that a couple of those then there's a the pre-credit sequence is Marion's house being raided for grain or something mm. like that, like being beaten up. I think it was the boys, actually. Yeah, it was, it was the it was the the, the the Sherwood hooligans. Yeah, yeah, the punks. There's the the fact that they have King Richard being you know hit in the neck. They're on siege. That Richard is kind of bloodthirsty and likes mm. going into battle. That's very reminiscent to me of Robin and Marion. Absolutely. Well, I was, I was going to ask. I mean, you're you're a bit more of a medieval scholar than I am at, at times. Like, like was was Richard the Lionheart killed by an arrow to the neck? Was that the he he was? Yeah, he, he was. was okay, right. I'm not. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he he copped an arrow when fighting, so he died yes. on campaign. But I think that he wasn't. This this one is slightly incorrect. That he wasn't on his way back. Like he'd gone on crusade, come back to England, and then if some years later, gone. Oh, I'm going back over to France to wage war. And that's when he, he he got killed. So they sort of mess with the history a little bit. I'll talk about the history too, because I think that's sort of key to one of the one of the reasons why I think this this film is kind of flawed is the history of of when it's set. But let me just um mention that, yeah, there's like at one point he's told to take a bath because he stinks. Which okay, yes. fair, it's medieval times, he stinks. But in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, it's like take a bath. It's kind of a running joke. Sure, yeah. There's just so many bits in this in this film, and I have more of them sort of written in my notes as I was as I was walking down that are like taking elements from other Robin Hood movies and then weirdly putting them in. And I don't know if it was deliberate or it's just part of the rewriting process that happened. They went, oh, let's let's throw this in. But yeah, I found it really odd because they're going for this. We're going to tell the real story, but yet there's all these other yeah. So I'm not sure how much of it is just formal tribute or just mm. that's part of the Robin Hood story so you put it in somewhere sure um, yeah. I mean there's no archery contest in this one but there is the sort of hero shot of 
Russell Crowe shooting Godfrey, you know, doing the full drawback of the sword and then shooting him through the neck as he rides away on his horse sort of thing. Does it twice, in fact. Yeah, so anyway, that was something that I just noticed about this film in general was lots of little weird takes on other Robin Hood films. I wrote, this is a weird, (laughs) weirdly, what did I write? A weird movie, flat, question mark, kind of dry, question mark. Yeah. Action but not really adventure. That, that, that's an incredibly accurate way to put it. Action with no adventure. <laughs> what, a, what a perfect way to describe this movie. Yes, absolutely. This, has, this movie has a lot of action in it, very little adventure. I mean, the biggest thing about it is that Robin Hood is so, you just don't really know that much about him, even though they try to give him this strange backstory. Mm. Of, of who he is, Robin Longstride, just some of it, it's it just one thing. And I, I'll hang on. What else did I have on my list? Oh, I have so many celebs. Kate Blanchett is great. Oh, it's an origin story. Yeah. Like, like right at the end, you're like, oh, okay. The end, and it's like, oh, and now the and legend now begins. now the legend begins. It's like, like, oh, oh can was I this supposed to be a sequel? I think it was sort of left ambiguous. On the Wikipedia page, it says that, like, Russell Crowe said, hey, look, if uh, Kate and Ridley and I can get together and, you know, I'm happy to do another one. <laughs> Maybe everyone just went. Oh, and collectively, everyone said, no, thank you. But if you look at the very end of the film, there's all these beautiful credits under the end credit, under the end titles. Mm. There's all this lovely sort of painting style yes. action happening. But and some the- of it is action that was in the movie, but a lot of it is not. Like there's, there's yeah. bits of, of, of Saracen warriors being de- decapitated, like and blood sort of splattering. And I'm like, what was that movie? Yeah, that and, and I, th- I think we get a dramatisation in that sort of montage of Richard and, and, and obviously Robin and all the, the soldiers killing the women and children yeah. at, at one stage and... and- I'm like, what, what, where was this supposed what, to be? Like, why, why was this why done? Why was that there? Yeah. It was like, oh, here are all the interesting things. Like, shouldn't that have been at the very beginning rather than the... the? Maybe it was. Maybe they had it as, like, the title sequence and someone said, this is too weird for the front. We've got to put it at the well, back. We need to put more... We need more um, explainers yeah. of America. Yeah, you, you, need, you need to literally open a book and read, like, three or four paragraphs of exposition yeah. and then we're all good to go. That's what I mean. So it's like, was that a tribute to sort of the Errol Flynn? But I don't even know. Did Errol Flynn have that? Did that I, I think it. I, yeah. I think it did from memory. Like, like they they opened with like some uh, like a book showing. Oh, you know, the, this the, is what happened. The other thing was um, Max Sidar's character was blind. Yes, and, yes, like and like um, Duncan in like in Duncan, Prince yeah. of Thieves. Even to the point of going, ah, I may be blind, but some things I can still like. There was a line of his which sounded exactly like when when mm. you know Duncan tells Marion that Robin's keen on her. He's like, I might be blind, but some things I still see. Yes, you know, it's a cute line. And it's kind of here in a different and worse way. Yes, Um, exactly. (laughs) As most of the elements are. So, yes, and I said there are plot things that just happen here and then they're not really relevant. They're just kind of things that happen. They just happen, yeah, exactly. The whole whole robbing of the grain, so they're in Nottingham and the the point is that uh, Nottingham is beautiful, fertile, rich land, Mm. but all of their grain has to go to the church so they can't plant. They've got fields ready to be sown, but they don't have any seed. Well, no, I, I think I think the issue is they have to give a certain amount to the church, but everything that they've had left over, like their seed grain, was stolen by the kids. Oh, yeah, good point. But, yeah, so there's this sort of thing about Friar Tuck keeps bees. Well, which I've seen, I'm sure I've seen in other versions of... Well, this. it makes or, sense. Or maybe I read, maybe I read that in in like one of the older stories or something. It, it would make sense that maybe in the older stories, yeah. it's like Friar Tuck keeps bees. He's a priest. It makes sense. He uses it to yeah. make honey and put he, make, he makes mead. Yeah, in the mead. Great. 
And somehow this is a secret that the church shouldn't know about. And so Russell Crowe, when he's in disguise, which we'll have to get to as well, he, he <laughs> basically bribes him to say, look, if, if, the, if the grain doesn't get to Nottingham and then I, I won't tell on you and your bees. It's this yeah. weird like bribery thing and it's like, well, what's this sort of this threat of the church like having power, but it never really amounts to anything. And they get this grain back and then they spend the evening planting the seeds to get rid of the evidence. You know, they plant it and they say if it sprouts from the ground, like Father Tuck says, I'll just say it was a miracle. Church yeah. can't deny a miracle. And it's this weird like offhanded, okay, so that's good. Does the grain actually grow in the end? Do we see a scene of them harvesting the grain and going, ha-ha? Like, it's yeah, just, no, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah. It's just sort of done so that Russell Crowe can somehow – be sleeping on the fireplace or near the fireplace <laughs> with his hand down his pants. Did you see that? Yeah, it's a weird, it, like you know a weird dudes, choice. It's a weird choice. Dudes will often sort of sit with a hand down their pants. It's just a thing that some dudes do. It must be a comfort thing. Maybe sure. they're holding their nuts. Maybe it's cold. But <laughs> he doesn't remove his hand. It's just Russell Crowe in a scene with his hand down his pants while Kate Blanchett looks at him lovingly going, oh, thanks for planting that grain. <laughs> it, was just, it was just strange. And uh, she tucks him in and he doesn't remove the hand. He's still got his hand down his pants on his, you know, merry man. <laughs> yeah. So they have this big scene where they go out, he and, and his merry men, <laughs> and they, they hold up the grain carriage and they take all the grain. Which is really the only, like, outlawing, like, Robin Hoodie Robin thing, Hoodie they, thing they, they sort of do, yeah. And, and then you're left, they're all tied up and they have to walk in a circle, like, they're tied back to back and they sure. have to kind of walk fun, as a big, fun bit, that's speak. fine. Yeah. Cute little bit. And then you see them drinking the wine and going back to plant the grain. And it's like, okay, so there's no, the sheriff doesn't sort of come in at that point to go, there's been some robbery of the church. Yeah, normally yeah. that's where the sheriff enters the story, where there's like, yeah. there's been banditry and, and, and I'm yes. going to find this this Robin of the Hood. Instead, the, sher the, sh the sheriff here, Matthew McFadgen, I mean, maybe there was more that they filmed and then they just cut it for time. But he is almost like the comic relief here. Like when Godfrey's men descend on Nottingham later in the film. He's <laughs> like, I'm French on my mother's side. Huh? He says, I'm French on my mother's side. And it's like, what the hell? You take Mr. Darcy, Mr. Darcy. <laughs> And you make him this kind of second-rate sheriff of Nottingham who doesn't – he's like the sheriff of Nottingham in the Errol Flynn Robin Hood where he's yes, not really – Yes, like very, very ineffectual. He's and, not really anything. Yeah, he's yeah. just there to be like, oh, look, I'm a sheriff of Nottingham. It's like, no, your sheriff of Nottingham is the bad guy. Well, and again, like this is a movie that crams in all the characters, right, because we, we sort of mentioned previously that – they tend to either do the Sheriff of Nottingham or Prince John. Like a movie will usually pick one or the other to be the primary antagonist. And instead, this movie does not only Prince John and the Sheriff of Nottingham, but also this weird pseudo Guy of Gisborne character that Mark Strong's playing. Yes. Why not just make him Guy of Gisborne? Just make him Guy of Gisborne. Why isn't he Guy of Gisborne? I don't understand. Like, why wouldn't he just, they've made him some other guy. Maybe that was a historical figure. Because this movie seems weirdly, like, obsessed with tying it as closely as possible to actual history, okay. which is so let's, let's bizarre. Get, get, let's get into that. Seems like a good way because, yeah, that's pretty much my list too. It was like, oh, and the only other thing was there's not really much of Sherwood Forest. I don't think it's ever mentioned by name. It's called the Greenwood. Yes. And then you've yeah. got the weird freaky punk kids in masks, like they're all the sandman. Yeah, like in, from in weird, in weird purge masks, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then, and then they turn up with Marion to fight in the war at the end. Like oh, she that ends up in full. I, I, I meant to mention that. My God, what a, what a completely unnecessary. 
just because it's like girl power and and uh, and she's got this army of about eight kids on as if she as if she isn't easily the strongest character in the movie anyway up to that point. Do you know what I mean? Like 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 wiping the floor with everyone else on screen. Yes, and then and then. But no, we have. She has to put armor on because she's a strong female character. It's like, come on, man. And it's it's like, so what was the point in the? And, 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 and she doesn't do anything. She, she gets she gets her ass handed to her and has to be saved by Robin. Saved by Robin because Godfrey's going to kill her, and he has to you know give her this kiss of life. But he just kisses her. He doesn't actually perform CPR. I was like, dude. Punch the chest before just yeah, pushing like, on. Do something. Her mouth is obviously full of water. It's insane. But the but the other thing about this is so people, you know, we kind of joked about how Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, has them Azim and Robin going home to Nottingham via Hadrian's Wall. Sure, yes, a lovely yeah. scene on Hadrian's Wall. Okay, cool. But it's never said that it's Hadrian's Wall. No, it's never kind no. of said, hey, we're walking home via Hadrian's Wall. We just landed at the White Cliffs of Dover and walking home. This one, they're like the two different armies. Robin goes back north to Nottingham to stop Godfrey's men. Yeah. And Hurt is gathering other people with Prince John and then they're going to meet at the White Horse. Now, I'm not sure what particular, there's a few White Horses, but if they're talking, they're, they're talking like back in the south. Mm. And somehow Robin comes in, uh, is able to route the Godfrey's guys up at Nottingham. They then are able to head to the beach to meet France and the others ride to the White Horse. There's just so much right. Like you thought Game of Thrones with dragons moving around. You thought that timeline was crap. This makes no sense. Yeah. No, like they, they, they teleport those armies. They teleport. Like there's, there's the meeting at Barnsdale where they talk about the charter and then someone says, oh, Godfrey's up at Nottingham. And he's like, oh, shit, we better go. And then they get there within the hour. You know, they're just starting yes. to burn houses and lock people up. And then da, 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 Robin Hood's back. And now I know that, you know, it's England, it's a much smaller country, but I don't think they're, I don't think it would be an hour's, maybe, I don't know, maybe they did some maps. But the, the, well, that's the other thing. There's like a full on map when Godfrey is kind of tearing through the countryside. Yes. Like yeah. all these barons' villages. There's literally a big map of like progress, like, oh, it's Lincoln and Derbyshire well. and, Who you knows? know, all these different cities and like, ah, oh, and montage flaming action. It's like, oh, gee, that's a bit naff. <laughs> It feels like an editing trick to sort of explain what's going on, basically. Yeah, but again, it's it's. Let me just sort of take it back a bit to because that's basically my list. But let's take it a little bit back to why I think the history works against this, and maybe we need to take it back to the writing of this this movie uh, and just a little bit of the history of how it was made. Mm-hmm. Sorry if you if you've got this far and you're like, wow, you're only now getting into this. This is how we roll. <laughs> so basically, um, according to Wikipedia, and I'd, I'd heard a lot of this stuff before, uh, there were two dudes who wrote a TV series called Sleeper Cell, which I've never heard of, but they wrote a spec script, which is when you write a script just off your own bat without having someone actually yeah. paying for it, where they had a Sheriff of Nottingham character who was more sympathetic, and a Robin Hood who was more, you know. Uh, less sympathetic and was a bit more the out, like a proper outlaw, like a dangerous outlaw, as opposed to heroic outlaw, and that they were in a love triangle with Maid Marian. Like maybe that would have been good, but that sounds like it would suck. I don't know. <laughs> and so that's kind of what Russell Crowe initially signed on for. Yeah. They like the hero Nottingham, and the, the film was called Nottingham. So going through here, Ridley Scott was hired. Sam Raimi and Brian Singer were also considered for the position. Scott's dissatisfaction with the script led him to delay filming and during 2008 it was rewritten into a story about Robin Hood becoming an outlaw. At one point, Crow was even being considered for a dual role as both Robin and the sheriff. Yeah, I know. What, what the hell were they thinking? Maybe they were like twins or something? 
Um, Scott dropped the latter notion and Nottingham was retitled to reflect the more traditional angle. In June, another screenwriter, Brian Hegeland, who's the one who's credited, I think, was hired to rewrite the original script. The producer explained that Scott had a different interpretation of the story from the script, which had the Sheriff of Nottingham as a CSI-style forensics investigator. Now, that's interesting. That's like, like interesting. Me- medieval CSI. But again, yeah. it's not a Robin Hood movie. Yeah. Anyway, Scott elaborated the script, portraying the Sheriff of Nottingham as being Richard the Lionheart's right-hand man, who returns to England to serve Prince John after Richard's assassination. Though Scott felt John was actually pretty smart, he got a bad rap because he introduced taxation, so he's the bad guy in this. And the Sheriff would have been torn between the two wrongs of a corrupt king and an outlaw inciting anarchy. And that is an interesting grey area. To me, yeah, that's an interesting sure. grey area for a film, whether it's a Robin Hood film, this can be argued, but the idea of going, wow, there's this outlaw who's kind of rising up against the crown and taxation, and that's not really right, but also my king is a bit of a nut job, which is kind of what William Hurt's character does in this film in the end. He's yeah, absolutely. Cool. You can see the ghost of that in his, yeah. in his character where he has to sort of play both sides. Filming was scheduled to begin in August 2008. However, by July filming was delayed because they had the writer's strike. Remember the big writer's strike? Yes, indeed, indeed. Then they hired playwright Paul Webb to do another rewrite. The film was moved to 2010. The Sheriff of Nottingham's character was then merged with Robin. Scott describes the identity of Robin in the context of the story. He starts off as one thing, becomes the guise of another, and then has to retire to the forest to resume his name, Robin, so that he was momentarily the Sheriff of Nottingham. That's not what that, that, that's not no what that means. It makes no sense at all. It makes no sense. It's not what happens. Hegeland, Helgeland, sorry, returned to rewrite, adding an opening where Robin witnesses the Sheriff dying in battle and takes over his identity. Scott chose, which is where this thing about him becoming Loxley, so as opposed, but that was supposed to be initially the Sheriff dies yes, in battle. Yes, okay. So another thing is Robin Hood assuming the Sheriff of Nottingham's identity is kind of an interesting story. There's an interesting bit there. Mm. Ooh, if I become the Sheriff of Nottingham, I can, and maybe that's why he thought maybe it's like a Dave, remember with Kevin Klein? Yes, exactly, yeah. Maybe it's that, uh-oh, the Sheriff died and now he's, or the other way around, Robin Hood dies and the Sheriff of Nottingham has to become Robin Hood to maintain the legend. Like, to me, there's a story, a fun story there. Scott chose to begin filming in February 2009 in forests around London, having discovered many trees which had not been pollarded. What does that mean? Hang on. Involves removing the upper branches of a tree which promotes the gross dense of head of foliage. Oh, okay. Right. So they needed more convincing trees, I guess. All right. By February 2009, Scott revealed Nottingham had become his version of Robin Hood as he had become dissatisfied with the idea of Robin starting as the sheriff. Uh, so there you go. But Rob- Russell Crowe had been cast in January 2007 with a fee of $20 million against 20% of the gross. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the idea of the sheriff of Nottingham as like a CSI-style forensic investigator but in medieval times is the one interesting concept where I'm like, I would I would probably be interested in that movie if it was done well. Mm. Um, the idea of like recontextualizing it as like, you know, Robin Hood, if he actually existed, would be like a bandit, like a violent highway robber. So like, you know, there, there, there's room there to sort of play around. Yes. But I love that they basically went, no, we hate this. So so we're we're just going to do like the Robin Hood story, but we're not going to do Robin Hood at all. No. We're just going to do like a a weird medieval movie, basically. We're going to do an origin story. So he's never really going to be in Sherwood Forest robbing the rich and giving to the poor. Does he even give to the poor? And like he, they take the money from. I mean, the only the only thing that he does is that they, they do the Robin Hood sort of heist of the grain, and then they give it back to the field. But they're playing that in a very feudal way of like, oh, this is the community's grain. When actually, like, no, it's it's like Marion's grain. <laughs> like she 
she says at one stage, like they say, oh, how much land do you own? She's like like 30 hectares or something. It's 5,000 acres. 5,000 acres or whatever, you know, like like she's a landowner. She, she's the local landowner. Well, so Walter, so Walter is. So yeah. Walter, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I will say, though, in Max von Sydow's endless praise of him, he is really good. Fantastic. He's he's one of the characters who I actually really warm to. He has this sort of nice role as the father who lost a son. That's the other thing that resembles Robin Hood. His son ran off from him in anger and took his sword. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, like Robin Hood is Brian Blessed and, and Robin Robin angrily ran off on crusade didn't take yeah, his totally. but he ran off and they kind of ended in anger and so yeah so and the other thing about me to this is that why it should have been the other way around it should have been he should have been called robert and this is the thing from um uh, the patrick bergen one you know how he's robert hode robert hode yeah and then becomes robin hood because it's easier to say i think that russell crowe should have been called robert longstride and then he becomes robin of loxley but instead they have it the other way around. He's Robin Longstride who becomes Robert of Loxley. But then he has to go, like he goes but back. At the very to end, in Robert. a way that is very unclear, his true identity is revealed. Like everyone's calling out Longstride, except like yeah. how would they know that? How would they know that? That's Oh, that's when he defeats the French. When he defeats the French yeah. at the end. And then uh, John is is like, oh, oh he's, uh, he's he's not who he said he was. He's an outlaw. Uh, yes. I, I declare him an outlaw. This is where the history comes in. First first of all, there's the Russell Crowe's weird backstory um, that somehow, even though it's not the same city, somehow um, Sir Walter knows who he is when he turns up and he's like, oh, hi, I'm Robin Longstride. And he says like, ah, an unusual but uh, not, uh, you know, a proud name or something like that. So he sort of... Knows, but then he. Refuses. I guess because he was there when it he was happened. there. But anyway, why would he know about that? Well, anyways, it's, well, apparently it's because Robin Longfellow's father was a Marxist a stonemason. <laughs> <laughs> he was a Marxist stonemason. A Marxist stonemason who came up with the idea of you know like collective action and uh, distribution of wealth and uh, basically wrote the Magna Carta. That's what. That's what. Russell Crowe's dad basically did and then was murdered for it when Russell Crowe was six and so he doesn't know why his dad left him and it takes him a while to kind of have flashbacks to to work out what happened to him and it turns out that his dad was a scholar and a gentleman and proposed equal rights and was promptly murdered and so yeah so even though Max von Sydow has this crazy thing of like I've got a proposal for you you're going to be my son and shag my daughter-in-law here off you go (laughs) There's no suggestion that like it would just be a pretense. He's like, no, no, no. You, like you'll you'll get everything. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. It'll all be yours. The sword, everything. And she's just like, what? But Russell Crowe, you know, to his credit, just goes, yes. This is there's no like his character. I'm getting distracted from my history point that I want to make. But the, this is the thing with Russell Crowe in this film. This you just don't know what. <sighs> You don't get the sense that he's like weighing it up. He's like, yes, absolutely, of course, I'll do this crazy. He thing. just kind of goes along with everything. Yeah. He 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 says at one point when he's leaving, you know, he kisses Marion. Is like, I love you, Marion. But it's like there's been sexy. T- like I wrote down on my notes a lot of things like, ooh, sexy foot in horse straddle and sexy. Like- <laughs> Sexy boot holding and there's all these kind of like medieval appropriate sexy touching and there's a good joke actually when she's talking about how she, you know, married Sir Robert and then um, yes, yeah, yeah. he rode off to battle the next day and yeah. he says a good night and she was like, oh, it's short but sweet. And he's like, no, I meant is he a, was he a good Was he a good night? night? She's yeah, like, oh, was, yeah, oh, yeah. oh, like that's a, that was a great joke. That was Good like, joke. That's a good bit. It was almost out of place. It was, it was that good. Yeah. Um, uh, but he, he never... 
he doesn't really have a he obviously wants to do the right thing but he's just compared to Maximus in Gladiator who seems to have a much more complex inner life and a sort of an inner turmoil and whatever. Well, this, he also has a much stronger arc and and has much clearer needs and wants. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Like, this, this like, Robin what does Robin? Just, Robin's just he's going just, with the flow. He's not he's not setting out to do anything. He just came back to give this guy's sword back, and he's like, and I guess I'm now I'm now this the guy's son. The like, yeah, he tells he's literally tells his drunk friends after they all have a massive rave in a small bar. Like literally, Alan the Dale is hitting the rave music, and they're all like bouncing up <laughs> and down, going. Bleh. He tells them all, look, until further notice, I'm Sir Robert Loxley and this is my wife. And they're like, Sir Robert. There's no, well, lads, I found myself in a strange position. It's just, I don't know, there's something distant about the Robert. He just sort of comes out and he says, yeah, this is happening now. And they're like, okay, I guess this is happening. Like they're like, oh, good for you. There's a whole bit where they divvy up the fortune that they've sort of taken when they, we never really outlined the the plot of this movie, but it starts yeah. with Russell Crowe and his friends with it's Richard. Fine. They then get a run on when Richard is killed. They they witness Robert of Loxley, who was taking the crown back to England, get ambushed and murdered by Godfrey, who's a double agent for France. And uh, they decide to take all of their nice fancy clothes, disguise themselves as those knights, take the crown back to England. And Russell Crowe has to pretend to be this, this Loxley character. And then he's asked by Max von Sydow to keep pretending. So, um... <laughs> So his, his, they make a whole big scene of going, well, I've divided up the fortune and now you are all can go your own way. Uh, and then because they stay in town and go to a rave the next morning and then he decides, come on, boys, you should have left. Something's up, let's go. Like what was the point in having a we're all going to take our separate way? Like they never do. You know, they, they never, ever do. And then he, and then when he comes back, then they're not like, well, no, we're going to leave. He's like, no, no, I'm, I'm in charge now. So uh, you, you do what I say. It's like why didn't they just go, we might hang around here for a while or why do they make such a big deal? And then they have all that those riches. What happens to it? Like he doesn't give that back to the poor. Does he give it to the, the Loxley's? to use to buy back more grain or to help I, it just disappears this is what i mean like things just kind of disappear whereas remember when we talked about prince of thieves everything ran on to the next thing even though you can say what you like about you know oh it's not great or whatever but everything there were no loose ends no sure and yeah then, i mean like like in that respect it, it's it's rock solid like yeah there's, I, I wasn't i wasn't con- like confused about what was going on i was confused why it was going on that's my point but that's <laughs> like, my point in Robin Hood, yeah. you're not confused to what or why like, oh, okay, they're in the forest now, they take money, and then that you see them redistributing it to the poor. Yes, exactly. Or this one, it's like, oh, it turns out Russell Crowe's dad was a philosopher who wanted equal... So it just becomes like, oh, Magna Carta. So now I'll get to the history point because I've been skirting around it. Here's, where, here's the history of it that I think got them into trouble. Right. So typically Robin Hood stories, if they're set about Richard the Lionheart, and some of the early ones were actually set later than Richard the Lionheart, like they're set in the 30s. Sure, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it kind of got retconned to being King Richard away on crusade. Prince John takes over. He's hated. Richard comes back. All of that is in the last 15 to 10 years of the um, 12th century. So 11, like Robin Hood, I think, starts in 1194 and he's Mm. been in crusade for five years. So you're talking, you know, I think Richard, I think Richard came to the throne in like 12, no, sorry, 11, like 77 or 1187 maybe? 1187 maybe. Sure. So he's, he, I think he was king for about 13 years um, and uh, and on crusade for most of that. So it is true that, you know, most most Robin Hoods have Richard come back. Great. 
you don't then go to the further adventure of him going back on warfare and getting killed because that would, you know, put a, a ruin in the story of, you know, that means that King John becomes king, which mm. is what happened in life, but it's not fun in a movie. This movie wants to have the Magna yes. Carta. The Magna Carta happens in 1215. Mm. So you're talking 15 years between difference. And this movie is trying to have it both ways. They want, Absolutely. They want to have the Magna Carta. Well, they they, it's, not, it's, not have... spe- it's not specifically the Magna Carta because at the end, John specifically says, ha-ha, lol jokes, I, I didn't mean it. Clearing up your charter. Yeah, yeah. but it, it's, it's heavily... It's talking about he he gets up and talks about no man should go to prison without charge or have and and these are basic basic sure. things from the Magna Carta. But, so but you, you get the impression that that after this, Robin will sort of fight the good fight for a few years, which will probably make the timelines line up yes. a little bit. You know, yes, exactly right. But what I'm saying is, this would have been a better film had they just forwarded on this this whole thing and done it about the Magna Carta and forced John to kneel. So you wouldn't have had this weird reversal at the end where he becomes an outlaw. You'd actually have have Robin helping to rally the barons to make Magna Carta. Yes, to, to, to have Robin Hood be part of the Magna Carta. Exactly. And thing. that yes. was, remember, Magna Carta was signed and then about eight months later, John overturned it and then, it you know, he lost again and then he died and it was put back in. So Magna Carta was like a moment, but it took a while for it to be cemented in. But I think this movie would have been better had they focused on King John is in charge and he's, you know, terrible and we need to bring him in. And so Robin Hood becomes this figure who helps to galvanise the other barons, whether he's nobility who goes on the run or whether he's a, you know, a peasant who has to step up. Either way could have worked, in my opinion. Hmm. But they want to have their cake and eat it too. They want to show him being a soldier with Richard the Lionheart which means they have to set it before Richard dies. Absolutely, This is the thing. As you pointed out, Stu, they're trying to have a lot of historical characters in this movie. They have John's first wife, Isabel, who he annuls and then marries his French wife. They have Mm. William Marshall. Like they have historical characters, so they're trying to stick to a timeline, which means they can't, they, they're trying to stick to when Richard was killed, which was, I think, 1199 or 1200. So they're trying to keep that time li- limit, but it means that they can't actually have Magna Carta be signed. So it's this, um, what do you call, like it's a rump. It's, um, it's a, um, there's a word for it. It's a, it's a, it's a shot bird. The, it's a shot bird. It's yeah. not, it, it never actually, ha- there's never, there's the declarative statement of John going, yes, I'll give you my word that this, on my mother's life, I'll sign your charter. But we already know he's a villain and we, you know, it just, it has no potency when he rejects it at the mm. end. Everyone's like, oh, you'll pay for this. But then the movie's over. It's yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because the legend begins. Yeah, the legend begins. But the legend of Robin Hood is not associated with Magna Carta. So no, not at all. <laughs> it's just associated with being an outlaw and you could have that happen in a number of ways. So I think they would have been better off having Robin, if, if they do want to have the Richard thing, they need to have him as being a soldier who was with Richard and has been back for some years now and is wherever he is, whether he's a noble or whether he's not, but he was a crusader 10, 15 years earlier. Mm. And now he's here trying to help. Like he was a young boy when he went to the Crusades and now he's in his 30s and now he's got to try and, you know, get back to and and then have the Magna Carta stuff. Sure. I just think that they were trying from a historical perspective. God, I'm nerding out too much about this. (laughs) Sorry if you're listening and this is confusing, but I think they were trying to have their cake and eat it too by having both Richard and Magna Carta and the timeline just doesn't work. 
for totally. it. Totally. Well, it, it, it makes it a weirdly it makes it a weird timeline because in Robin Marion with, with Sean Connery and, and uh, Audrey Hepburn, the whole point is that he comes back from the Crusades an old man, yes. right? Obviously, like having having done all of his outlawing in his younger days and robin hood is usually portrayed as this younger vital like sometimes he's literally a teenager but but usually he's like a young man who stand you know sort of stands up and becomes an outlaw whereas this movie particularly like like is casting russell crowe a man in his 40s as you know a grizzled old veteran of of richard's wars and then he comes home and becomes robin hood and it's a weird balance where they're like and and now the legend begins it's like what are you talking about like yeah. this is normally the end of a robin hood story and that's right in in robin and marion it's the end of the legend he yes. dies it's the end of robin hood has finally met his match in yeah. in uh, red grant from from russia with love yes um so yeah and this is what i mean this one just doesn't fit they try to cover two timelines and try and mash it together and it just doesn't click and so it leaves it very dry and then they have like this great big cool battle sequence where it's England versus France and France the king of France is trying to take advantage of because this this is the this division that he sowed amongst the barons but but this is the thing he is trying to overthrow John so it's not even like he's in league with John trying to up taxes or something. No, no, he's trying to overthrow John. Yeah, it's, it's that, his whole third element. That's exactly, like, it's his yeah. whole other element of Godfrey being a double agent helping to <laughs> helping to overthrow John because John is a weak and, you know, vain king, which he is. Um, but then they have to kind of reclaim John to be a bit of a good guy to unite the, you know, unite all the English forces. So Philip, yeah. say, this doesn't look like a country at war with itself. And so he buggers off and then immediately John goes, nah, I'm not signing your charter. Now, in real life, John was a terrible king and a lot of people, you know, consider him one of the worst English kings. And I'm sure there are some totally. who are like probably revising his his opinion. Um, but he is not highly regarded. He was. And in fact, there was a period under his rule where the Dauphin um, was in charge of England. It's like this weird little known invasion that happened for about, yeah six months England was ruled by the Dauphin before they kind of the barons got it back. But John was was kind of a lame duck king. He wasn't very effective. Yeah. So you either need to focus on that, and that's what the early Robin Hood stories do. They focus on him when he was Prince John and they f- conveniently forget that he becomes the king. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because, because um, the, the, the traditional Robin Hood story is always King Richard returns from the Crusades and puts things to rights. Triumphantly sorts things yeah. out. And just as a kid, I remember going, that's so weird because John, and so Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, deals with that by just not having John involved, which is the yes. sensible move. You yeah. make Nottingham it's the It's a choice. Guy. It's a choice. Absolutely. It's a choice. And it works because it means Richard comes back, hooray. Nottingham was the bad guy. They took care of that. And then Richard will die at some point and then John becomes, but that's a whole different story. The Robin Hood story has happened. So that's why I think this movie, and they're trying to be more like realistic maybe, they're trying to show battle. It's sort of like freaking Saving Private Ryan with all the little Including being on a beach. Like they're on a beach. Oh, that thing that I love in movies is when they do underwater photography of like soldiers dying. Yeah. Even, you know, even in Game of Thrones, you know, you love an underwater, like when Jamie came off the horse. In the Battle of the Loot Train, yes. he falls yeah, yeah. into the thing, and there's underwater, you know, sinking, and you know, people going and spears and flirtily flags falling to the 
clearly what was a studio tank. (laughs) (laughs) I love an underwater, I love an underwater battle uh, shot. Like, ooh, artsy. But, yeah, and then he just, he gets Marion, scoops her up and just walks off the field to everyone going, long stride, long stride. Exactly, for for no reason. Like, uh, why would they be shouting that name? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, they know him as as Loxley at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone in that, unless... There's some sort of conceit that like there's soldiers there who fought with Richard, but they don't say that. Like they they never make no. that connection. So and it's not even known if those soldiers are Bizarre. back yet from France. I don't know, but it's yeah. just, it's a really it's like we want to have a great big battle between England and France, but but the Robin Hood story was never about England versus France. It no, it never England was versus ever. itself. You know, so it's just it was so as I said, so flat and so. You know, and and I'm nerding out historically, which again doesn't matter to the most people. But no, but I think the, the, the movie encourages you to nerd out historically, but <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I but totally then, agree. This is a movie that that is you can feel the tortured development process behind the scripting and and the and the eventual production. Yeah. Oh, and just looking at some of my notes. Yeah, they go to York. They they sack York before Nottingham. York is sure. northern. You know, York is further north than Nottingham. Yeah, like he's going all over the place. It's crazy. It's so weird. It's like they're zigzagging Game of Thrones style around the country before getting to Nottingham. And I, I did like though that uh, Mark Addy throws a, a whole bunch of bees. He locks all these French <laughs> soldiers in his church, his, in his chapel, and throws yeah. a whole bunch of bees. Throws some bees at them. They're all covered in bees. Actually, someone was asking me recently. I think it was was it Steph, my friend Steph, supporter of the show. I saw her recently and she was saying, oh, I don't get the Covered in Beesbury joke. You know, Lord Covered in Beesbury yes, from yeah, yeah. House of the Dragon. I just kept calling it. She's like, oh, what's that reference? And I was like, I don't even think it really is one, except maybe it's Eddie Izzard. I think Eddie Izzard did a thing once about, like, I'm covered in bees. Um, um, well, I mean, there's also, like, the famous uh, remake of The Wicker Man with, with Nicolas Cage oh, where he, he gets covered in bees. Yes, that too. It's just, oh, that, it was that's just, probably a thing. That's probably it was just more. something in my brain that went Lord Beesbury. So the bees, Lord, the I'm bees. Covered, in, covered in bees. Ah, they're in my eyes. I do. Incredible. Go look at that scene if you haven't seen we, it. It's amazing. I wonder if we should do Raven Cage or Cage Cajun on. <laughs> <laughs> just do Nicolas Cage movies. Just the, the movies of Nicolas Cage. But yeah, I'm just I'm just looking through here. Oh, Max von Sydow got killed by Godfrey because he he got his he got his you know sword out and was attacking him and fighting pretty well for an 84 year old blind dude. So this is yeah. what I mean. Like he was really he was my MVP. I think of the film was Max. No, von it was Sydow, great. Yeah, Max Max von Sydow was really good. Like you he, you expect him to be some sort of either either insane or lecherous or something, and it turns out like no, he's he's like an honourable. He's um, a man who just kind, says, honorable man yeah. who who wanted to help make the Magna Carta happen, and then just watched Russell Crowe's dad get killed instead. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think I think we've done this movie. I think this is it. Like, yeah. like we, you know, there's not much to say. I mean, it's it's a, a weird. Oh yeah, weird movie. sorry. I've, I've got here. Russell Crowe says, "I love you, Marion," and it's like. It's like nothing. It's like it's nothing. Yeah, it's, it means it means nothing. There's she just nothing. kind of looks after him, yeah. and there's no, there's no like I don't know. I wanted a bit of like passion. There's there's a moment where they dance together, and they sort of like dance in front of a fire. But it's like hmm. I feel like this movie. The, the whole point is she's not a virgin, virginal eighteen year old. She's a married woman, albeit not for long. But they're literally staying in the same. Ch- I, I was expecting a bedroom scene, like a you know, come into my bed tonight. You can don't you don't have to lie in front of the fireplace with your hand down your pants tonight. Yeah, and, and there's just, not really like they they don't just do something that. to kind of go. Oh look, actually there is you know um, a developing romance here, but they kept it they kept it more. I thought of all the movies that could go a bit more sexy, like overtly sexy, 
with Robin and Marion, mm. this would be the one, but they, they keep it, you know. They even have a scene where he's kind of perving on her getting changed. And, yeah. And even that is weirdly sensual. chased. Yeah, it's, 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 it's very not sensual. Even, it's not even, but it's not even very sensual. There, there's even a scene where there, there's a literal sex scene with like two incredibly beautiful people in Oscar Isaac and uh, uh, Leah Sado. Oh, yeah. Uh, which again is just weirdly sexless and chaste. It's bizarre. It's a bizarre movie. And that was funny too because I think it was supposed to be Vanessa Redgrave who was supposed to play Eleanor of Aquitaine and then she dropped out, I think, family bereavement or something I was reading. And so they got this Eileen Atkins instead, who I don't really know very well. I'm sure she's been in stuff. I, I, I swear first, I've seen her in other things. Yeah, her first line is telling the crying Isabella going, an English princess turned out for a bit of French pastry. And it's like, <laughs> Eleanor... Was French. Guys. Yes, yes, exactly. Yes, she was from Aquitaine, which was not part of the Kingdom of France because France was, you know, broken up into smaller. Sure, you know, yeah. The Kingdom of France was it. So she's not French, French, but she's still. Not I mean, she's English. French. She's French. <laughs> so the idea of going, oh, I'm, and she speaks in this beautiful she's, English. She's like, Gallic. Clipped English accent. Like, I'm a proper English lady, and you, my son, should marry an English girl. Um, but yeah, Leah Sadu is in this. Yeah, and, and like has has a role. Like it's a small role, but like it's not it's not nothing. She's not yeah, a cameo. She's, like she's, she's the one it. who convinces John that he has yeah. to you know work with the barons, not just kill them all. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm suddenly I just quickly checked IMDb. I'm suddenly realizing um, I know Eileen Atkins as um, Queen Mary in the first series of The Crown, ah. um, which I, I, I know you haven't dug into. Haven't haven't dug into that yet. How is it going with the new? Charles and Diana. Yeah, good. I'm, I'm a couple of episodes. I haven't, I haven't watched the whole series. I'm sure people have binged the whole series by now, but um, I'm a couple of episodes in. It's weird. Everyone got hotter. It's bizarre. <laughs> like, like they, they talk about like, um, you know, everyone, everyone's actors, everyone's actors, and they were, they were pretty hot to start with. But you know, everyone's actors got like a major upgrade, and it's like, oh, these people are too pretty to be playing these weird freaks. It really, it, they really are. They've really given them a glossy top coat. They've given them an absolute glow up. It's crazy. Whole- point of the royal family was how all these people who were not the hottest people in the world you know were just sucking toes and pretending to be tampons yeah, <laughs> you know that was the whole, yeah exactly like the, the, these the weird dysfunctional weird, bananas weird, family weird um, freak show of but, but i feel like it's 90s. broken people's brains when they talk about the show because they talk about it as if the show is sympathetic to the royals and i'm like i'm not watching the same show you are because this this show is very critical of the royal family it, it goes out of its way to portray them as a bunch of weird freaks but the, <laughs> the trouble is they're all so hot this season it's bizarre it's yeah, it's, yeah. And the thing is, the royals now, because of Kate Middleton and Meghan Markle, you can go, yeah, totally hot. Like, they've gone hot. That's the whole point. Sure, yeah, yeah. Sure, William lost his hair when he was about 21, but, you know, they're all still pretty hot now. Yeah. Whereas, well, apart from Prince Andrew, of course. Um, But, (laughs) you know, the others have aged into elder statesmen and women. And the young ones are all now pretty hot and give it 10 years and all their kids will be the hot new young thing. So they'll get hotter and hotter because, you know, they get their teeth seen to now and they have, better diets and nutrition. <laughs> there's, there's slightly less inbreeding. That's right. They've got a bit more fresh blood in the DNA pool. Um, <laughs> Although that, that was part of the problem, apparently, with Meghan Markle anyway. Well, yes, quite. But what I'm saying is that's where the attractiveness comes from, you know. Inbreeding, yes, okay, indeed. sure, pure bloodlines, but at what cost? At you what know, cost? Not everyone is the Targaryen. Exactly, do, yes. Not do everyone has Targaryen blood magic to keep the, <laughs> to keep the, the, the deformities at bay. <laughs> 
Well, apart from the odd kid, apparently, you know, apparently the kid that um, Rhaenyra had in the final episode. Ah, yes, uh, we were supposed to be slightly dragony. We're supposed to be like a scaly dragon. And there's some theory that apparently like Targaryens are gestated as dragons until like eight months or something when they actually turn into a human. That was some theory I read somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why if they're born prematurely, they come out as dragons. So when Daenerys had her baby prematurely in the first season of Game of Thrones, and it yes. came out scaly and whatnot. It's because it didn't have enough time to gestate and turn into a human. I don't know if that's just a random internet theory or if that's a somewhat based in evidence theory. Every once in a no while, you'll, you'll hear stuff like that, and you you remember that Game of Thrones, like like A Song of Ice and Fire, is a full blown fantasy series <laughs> that that was toned way down yes. for Game of Thrones, which is why it was so successful in the inter- in the initial sort of. Yes. Uh, run because it was seen as like realistic but but yes. you have to remember these are full-on high fantasy novels like yes. you know so yes absolutely shit like this is going to come out <laughs> and that just reminds me that the the articles about things there's been articles about the crown where i've just seen pop up you know there'll be like explainer articles on all those sort of clickbait news sites and it'll be like did prince charles really say this to Camilla about a tampon or yes, this is a real thing that happened. And it's like, Oh my God, there are now explainer articles about things that happened in my lifetime that Mm -hmm. I remember when they were news stories. Oh yeah, absolutely. And then I felt so old, Stu. I felt so old. It was like, Did Diana die in a car crash? Yes, she did. It's like what? Oh my Who god! Imagine I? just yeah. Stuff like imagine that. imagine being young enough that that is like a historical event that you would have yes. to look up. Yes. Mm. Yeah, it's like me looking mm. up stuff from the sixties. Existentially terrifying. You know, when I look up like Kennedy and stuff. It's sure. Like, oh, yes. That happened before I was born, but twenty years before I was born. Yeah. And this that's is, right. and we're now twenty years plus. We're twenty five years from Diana dying. Absolutely. Yeah. So I remember I, I'd just, come. I remember I'd come home from a school fate. Really, I yeah. went, I think I woke up because um, it was a Saturday. I think it was a Saturday or a Sunday. Yeah, it um, was. It was definitely a weekend. Yeah. Um, maybe I'd been out with my mum, and when I got home, my brother said, "Oh, mum, Diana's passed away." And I remember my mum going, "Oh, well, God, God bless her," or something like that. And I went, "Hang on, what? What happened?" What happened? Yeah, what? What? Like it I obviously broke a bit. Of course, this is before we all had mobile phones and were checking the news every five minutes. And, you know, so obviously I'd gotten up, not seen anything on the news because I think and initially it was reported as she was in an accident in a critical condition. And then when it was, I was out with my mum or something and when we got back it had been confirmed that she died. And I was like, yeah. oh, she died. And I think my mum said like, God rest her or God bless her or something like that, which was really sweet. <laughs> She didn't do what would have happened nowadays, which is go on Twitter and make a, like a lewd joke about uh, something and, and, oh, well, and have 50,000 people then cancel her. I don't know. I See, Diana was different. I don't know that Diana would get the, the crude jokes or the- That's true. Know. That's true. Yeah, you're probably right. But uh, tell you what, as we round off Robin Hood, um, we should rank it and then we can talk about whatever the hell is going on with Twitter just briefly. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, well, basically, uh, so, I mean, I-, we, I Struggled a little bit with where to place this movie in, in our in our lists. Yeah. So I have obviously um, the 1952, uh, the story of Robin Hood and his merry men, as my uh, bottom of the list movie. That that the Robin Hood in that is a plank of wood. It is a not very good movie. The next one up I have is the 1991, uh, just Robin Hood, um, mm. which I, I I really didn't like. I think you liked it a bit more than I did. I have it in the same place though. It's right. Still okay. Second okay. Last. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah, and so and then above that is Men in Tights, and I'm like, I don't like this. I don't like this movie more than Men in Tights. <laughs> Tights like, I know. No, so so it goes, it goes there. It goes in third last place. Like it I'm goes. I'm the same. 
I'm, yeah. I'm the same. I, yeah. the, only, the only thing I could think of is that it might go second last after Robert Hood with Uma Thurman. But, but, see, I, but think, see, I think the performances in this are so much better. They are, yes. They like, are. Like, just and the overall quality of this movie is so much better, yeah. but it's just a weird mess. Yes, yes. So that's that's the only difference that I would have had, and I don't really think I would do it. So, yes, I'm the same. I feel, I feel our lists are very similar, but, yes, yeah. third last, third last. So <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, six out of eight. Yes, that and feels about right. That feels about right. Um, and next time we're going to be doing the Taron Edgerton, Jamie Foxx, Robin Hood from 20, <laughs> Yes. I want to say 2018, could be 2017. Which- is a movie that does not exist. No one, no one knows that that movie exists. I mentioned this to to my wife the other day that that's what we were doing. She was like, "That's not a real film, right?" Like, like, I'm like, "Yeah, no, it happened. It happened." I remember, I remember when the trailer was uh, came out and looking at it, going, "This is just Game of Thrones. They've just totally redone Nottingham yeah. King's Landing." So obviously inspired by, "Oh my God, Game of Thrones fantasy is popular. Quickly do another Robin Hood movie." Yeah. But I remember being so offended by the trailer that I was like, "I am not going to watch this. This looks like crap." <laughs> And now I have to. So this and is the first for time. Content. Yeah, for content. Mine it for the content. Jokes on so you, Nat. That's right. <laughs> they get me eventually. So yeah, this is the first the first time that I'll be seeing it, and I'm intrigued, but I'm not holding out hope. And the only it's uh, the only thing I've seen about it recently that it's come up is because Tim Minchin's been in the news. I think he was on Australian Story, which is a current affairs sort of profile gentle kind of exploratory profiles of noted Australians, famous sure. or otherwise. It's on every week in, in Australia uh, for most of the year. And Tim Minchin was on one and he had like a career slump, which coincided with this film because he plays Friar Tuck in this film. In oh, God, Tarrant does he? Edgerton. Yeah, yeah. He's I Friar didn't even Tuck. know that. That, would, oh, that was going to be a big surprise to me. Oh, damn. <laughs> I thought you knew. No, 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 no. I mean, you're not spoiling anything, I'm sure. Oh. Oh, damn. Oh, I'm so sorry. I should have waited. Tim Minchin um, was fried. Tuck. What the yeah. hell was this movie even? Th- we'll, we'll get into it. We'll get we'll, into it next week. We'll get into it. Um, but yes. So um, thank you everyone for uh, listening. Thank you again, patrons. You can call in to us at least at the moment as I mean, of recording. As long as Twitter in. is still standing, you can you can call in there. Isn't it weird? I've been really wanting to chat to you on on Mike about Twitter, Stu, because I think um, it's it's so weird. I haven't really gone down the avenues of finding other sources for people to call in. I've I've got the Facebook page, of course, facebook.com slash Natalie's Throne, but it doesn't seem like Facebook is not a replacement for Twitter and really neither is Instagram. A lot of people have been pimping their Instas, but Insta is photo based. It's what are you gonna do? It's not the same at all. It's not the same at all. Yeah. It's like type out a you know, Twitter is like constant anytime you want sort of brain farts. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Insta is more like, oh maybe I'll put a picture on Insta. You know, I'll go weeks without putting anything on Insta. Like that's just, I won't think about it or nothing. No, absolutely. And there there are some people who post a lot to Instagram, especially to Instagram stories. Like I I feel like there's a few people who, who I follow anyway, who who constantly post to to stories, which is fine. Like it's a good way to keep up with people, but um, but it's, that's very much like here. Am I doing this sort of thing? You don't. Yeah, exactly. Do... It's it's going out and being in the world. Whereas like Twitter are weird, weird gremlins. Yeah, huddled and... in, huddled in, uh, you know, this darkened is, rooms. This is why it's. I always kick myself when I try and use Twitter as a promotional tool because nobody who's on Twitter is leaving the house. Like no, that's the absolutely whole thing. not. <laughs> <laughs> and, and thank you to those of you who are on Twitter who come and see my shows and stuff. You are the exceptions to the rule. <laughs> yes, why absolutely. you are great, but it is. It's why. Um, People in any kind of marketing, advertising for 
theater and any sort of outdoor performances still driving through Facebook and Instagram. Like Twitter is just not a thing, which is why I was really surprised when they're like advertisers leaving Twitter because I went, wow, they have big advertisers. Um, I suppose (laughs) I see them, I see them in my profile pop up, but I don't pay attention to them because they flick up, you know, um, quickly. Um, but, uh, yeah, so there's facebook.com slash Natalie's throne and my Patreon and until, you know, Twitter collapses in a steaming pile of fire. It was, it's in the last sort of week, there's been a few days, hasn't there, where it's felt like, oh my God, this is the end. It definitely felt like the site could go away at any moment. Um, yeah. It probably won't, but there's a lot of good sort of resources out there that sort of explain that. Over the next couple of weeks, like look out for several uh, features just slowly starting to break. Yeah, Twitter is not Twitter going forward is not going to be Twitter that we're all used to uh, in various ways for various reasons. Yes, um, you know, le- least of which is the open slather again on just random right wing outright Nazi stuff. Well, uh, I'm, but you know, I'm really hoping because Donald Trump has been let back on, but so far he said, I'm not <laughs> but it's basically going, no, I'm not coming back. I'm too cool for you, Elon Musk. So I'm hoping that that might stay that way and he doesn't come back because that will at least be something. But I remember talking when he was president, like I remember talking, I don't know if it was to you or somewhere else, where I sort of maybe even put it on Twitter and went, maybe we all just have to like kill Twitter so that Donald Trump, <laughs> so it sort of stops Donald Trump-ism. Cause yeah, maybe. I mean, like, as he I- can't do his toilet tweets, you know, four times an hour, you know, that's going to stop a lot of this stuff if you can't get these direct access to his, you know, brain farts for want of a better term. Um, and I remember saying, should we just kill Twitter for even just temporarily until he's not president anymore and then bring it back? And now sort of facing the real possibility of not having Twitter. It's been really interesting watching. I haven't, I don't think I've had the intensity of feelings that some people have. Like some people have been writing obituaries styles of, I remember this and I remember this. And yeah, certainly it's been a a part of my online life since I joined because of you and Dan from the Smart Enough, Smart Enough to Know Better podcast are the reasons I joined Twitter because <laughs> um, I think you'd been on there about a year or so before before I eventually joined. Yes, yeah, yeah. And, um, it, I mean, it was a fantastic uh, – and, look, a lot of people still say they have a wonderful time on Twitter and I, I don't have a bad time, I guess. But Oh, um, tw- Twitter's been the most fun it's been for ages. Like, you know, just everyone posting takes and stuff. It's been yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's been fun now. Yeah, for it's, sure. It's real. It's real puppy in a primary school energy uh, <laughs> on in, in Twitter at the moment. <laughs> as, as in, like, oh my god, look, there's a random dog in the schoolyard. Yes, exactly. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> there's a dog outside. Yeah, it's just it's just an interesting vibe, and there have been days where it's felt like oh, I might wake up tomorrow and it will be off. Like it won't, it just won't be there. And that's really interesting. So I want Mm. to urge people who are listening to the podcast that we'll still be podcasting and we'll still be doing all the things. And and we hope you you follow us along. Um, NatalieBohensky.com is my website where I post recaps. Facebook.com slash Natalie's Throne for Facebook stuff. I'll still post there. And uh, of course, Twitter at Girl Clumsy, at Disco Stew. He doesn't need to advertise. And if we end up transferring to other, because you're on Mastodon already, aren't you? I haven't even. I, I have. I have set up. I have set up a Mastodon account. Um, Mastodon is a weird beast. Both wants to be the Twitter replacement and also very strongly does not want to be the Twitter replacement. Um, and it is, is is which is a, a side effect of it's the weird way it's sort of set up with all these different servers. It's a very decentralized. Like there's not there's not a central sort of Mastodon site. There's all these different um, like servers. It's it's. 
I, I, I figured out what was bugging me about Mastodon, which is it has all the problems of a modern social media site combined with all the problems of a forum run by one guy in 2002. <laughs> um, you know, like, like every single one of these instances, they're called instances, <laughs> these servers. Instances. Has That's instances, that, yeah. yeah. And, and, and they're, they're, they're federated, so it's the Fediverse. Like, like they're, oh, but, but, but individual <laughs> servers can choose to like block other servers if they don't like the types of people that sort of populate it, it's a big sprawling mess. The people so who've been on there for like, years. So you could have like Stu's server. Yes. And I could have Nat's server. And then you yeah, could be like, I don't like Nat and all her followers, so you can't interact with me. So you can't interact world. with us, which is <laughs> insane. That's you a can't. weird, that's an insane way to run what is meant to be like a Twitter. An open um, Open an open forum. an open <laughs> forum, you know, like it's, it's like, and there's all, there's all sorts of good reasons for that, like that, you know, you can basically instantly shut down any sort of right wing craziness, Nazi. yeah, yeah, Nazi yeah. shit, and, and all that sort of stuff. Like you can shut that down very quickly. You can sort of quarantine but it, everyone- but it also, but it also means that. Like, for example, a lot of journalists specifically all piled onto a particular server in the last week or so. And then one of the journalists posted like a link to a story that he had written in the New York Times. And then a bunch of the other instances just blocked access to that server because they're like, we don't like the New York Times. It's like, that's bananas. You can't do that. That's insane. Or or you can, but but that's very different to what Twitter is. Everyone's interpretation of what is crazy right-wing intolerable Nazism is well, different. exactly, exactly. That's a whole. That's a whole and, other debate. But, but I, I, just, I just mean that the the idea that whole chunks of a social network can block other chunks of a social network is both really kind of revolutionary, but also that's not a Twitter replacement. What you're talking about is not a Twitter replacement. You're talking about a series of forums, is what you're talking about. So does that mean that, like, if you are on Stu's server, you're yes. with you're on Stu's server, and Stu goes, "That's it. I don't like the New York Times, so I'm blocking the journalist server." So your people who are on your server can't see. Yeah, that, that's a decision that's made by the mods, like like the the admins and the mods of the particular instance. Oh, great! So. They didn't like how media had editing and gatekeeping, so now they're doing it. This so time. now they're so now they're being they're editing and gatekeeping. Exactly, exactly. And I'm like, you know, there, there's there's that whole. Just, yeah, exactly. It, like, just, it just it, it makes like, oh, it makes it's, me a, laugh. it's a mess. It's a mess of a site. It's been around since 2016. They've had years to iron all this stuff out, and people just seem very happy with exactly what it is like like there's been there's been long term Mastodon users who've been like, yeah, I don't see the problem. What what's what's wrong? You know, and it's like mm, there's there's so many problems with the model that you have. Um, it, it well, maybe really... it's a good thing. Maybe maybe it's a good thing that Mastodon is a different thing. I think I think you know there, there, there's another social media service that's cropped up just in the last couple of days called Hive, which seems to be gaining a lot of traction because it is as close as you can get to a Twitter clone, like physically and legally. I think you know, like like it's 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 as close to the bone as you can possibly get without being a straight copy of Twitter. But it's popped up very quickly. It seems to be very slick, and people are very suspicious of it now because, like, they don't know where it came from. Like the the people who are involved only started in sort of 2019, and they're like, this feels weird. So it's it's a weird thing. I think I tried to because you mentioned it to me earlier, and I tried to set up an account, and it's like we we've sent you a code via email, but I don't have one. So I said, okay, resend code, and it says quota exceeded for how many resends we'll send you. And I'm like, yeah. well, you didn't send me any resends. You just sent it to me once. 
that is not a resend. That's an original send. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it doesn't it doesn't have a website. It just has an app, which is always like a bit of a weird red flag for me anyway. Yeah, um, that is weird. And that's a developer thing too. Like they, they developed an app. Like, like it's a small team. They developed an app. They'll work on the website later. But if you want to be a Twitter replacement, you've got to have like a web page presence because yeah. so much of Twitter happens with journalists online. Do you know what I mean? Like, like so it, it's like it is – a phone thing, but it's also got to be a web thing. We, we could talk for hours about it, but basically for the first time in many years, social media genuinely feels like it's in flux. Mm. And I think that's really interesting and I can't wait to see how it all sort of shakes out. But at the moment, it just means that everyone's running around like headless chooks going, ah, I don't know what's going on. Isn't it so bizarre to think that you are in a world where a billion of billionaires, in a world, in a world... Because, you know, talking about Russell Crowe being Robin Hood and being quite distant, like <laughs> Elon Musk, the richest man in the world, is sitting on Twitter answering questions from randoms and yes. shotgunning ideas about the place. Probably shouldn't be allowed to happen. Uh, probably not a great thing to have, have happen. So, I think you know. You, I think you were tweeting about this, ironically, that he was forced to buy it yes. because yeah. the way capitalism works is that he made an offer and because the Twitter shareholders have to do the best thing for the shareholders or whatever it is, the board have to do the best thing for the shareholders, they had to hold him accountable to it. That, that, that was from the board side. From Elon's side, it's even stupider. He apparently didn't read the contract that he signed because he was always, I mean, it seems obvious, he was always intending to back out of the deal, but they anticipated that and put a specific clause in there <laughs> saying that if he tried to back out of the deal, he still had to pay like some obscene amount of money, like like $40 billion oh my God. to Twitter. So even if he backed out, he still had to pay Twitter billions and billions of dollars. So he just couldn't back out. He, 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 had, he had jumped feet first into a trap of his own making and found himself having to buy Twitter for way, way more than, than what it was worth. Like the GDPs of several countries. $44 billion. Together. $44 yeah. billion dollars he's, he paid for, for Twitter. I think the um, entire Queensland budget for our state of Queensland mm. is like $55 billion. Yeah, yeah. That's like an entire state's health system, education system, roads, transport, everything is 55. And you're talking one company that does tweets is 44. Like that's, yeah, I mean, it's insane. It's crazy numbers. And he's just sitting there and then, and everyone's leaving. And I mean, the thing is, these are highly paid technical workers. They're, they're IT white collar people. They're probably not going to want for a job. And the way America works its executives in this or its people in this weird way, I'm not surprised that he would come out and go, okay, everyone, we've got to work a bit harder. You know, he sent that message going, got to work a bit harder. But to then make it a work hard or quit, this weird oh, ultimatum thing. The, the most astonishing thing. Like, I mean, what, it's like no what one is on your side. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No one he, is he, on he, your side, Elon. Everyone is going to be cheering the people who quit. They're going to quit, get their three-month severance, and then easily pick up another job in another IT place somewhere else. Like there are always going to be – I know there's been a lot of layoffs at Facebook and stuff as well, but this is tech and digital. There will be other businesses. They're not low-paid workers who are going to struggle to find other other jobs. They're not, they're mm. not you know, coal miners being shut out of a dying industry. They're, so they're going to end up okay. That's not to suggest that I don't feel sympathy for people, you know, having these weird jobs. But everyone's on their side. <laughs> Yeah, no one's on your yeah. side. Yeah, exactly. So you're not going to no, win it's... hearts and minds. M Musk is, is is acting like he always has, 
which is he he comes in and creates a cult of personality around himself. And that works when you're dealing with highly specialized sort of systems like like car manufacturing or rocket manufacturing, which is what his other two big companies yeah. do. Because you you can convince very smart scientists to sort of believe in the cause and 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 be like, yeah, we're gonna build the like the best rockets or the best electric cars. You know, yeah, and, and, and encourage them to do thing, that. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm a visionary. I'm a tech visionary. I'm, I'm Tony Stark in the real world. And you try to translate that to a social media company, which just has a bunch of coders and stuff. <laughs> And they're just going to leave. Like, like you say, yeah, you've got to work 80 hours and, and you've got to worship me as a god. And they're like, no, we'll take the three-month severance that you're offering. <laughs> and we, Goodbye. You've got to work really hard to make sure that uh, amateur pornographers can put 30-second clips <laughs> yeah, exactly, up on the site yes. and it doesn't break. Yeah. And, no, and, sure. and also and also, I'm letting all the, I'm letting all the insurrectionists, like the, the literal yeah. traders back on the site. Let lots of people Insane. leave um, no profile pictures and uh, lots of numbers in their username just yes. back on there to, to give hot takes. It's Utterly like, bizarre. What, it's just very a, a, very strange, time. very strange time, but very interesting time. Like it does, it does feel like it is a kind of a case of oh god, what will people do? And I do think you know there are a lot of journalists who are plugged as as I was and still am. In I'm not a working journalist, but yeah, it's a plug in for so many people in the media, and that's sure. why I think it matters more to people in the media than to anyone else. Um, oh, it's the reason Twitter is still relevant. I mean, like Twitter yeah. has one of the lowest user bases of any of the social media, whereas Pinterest mm. has more users than Twitter. Yes. But oh, yes. the people who use Twitter a lot of weddings to are, be people like, are people like Elon Musk and, and, yeah. and they're, they're on there, Yes, you know? Like, so it just it has an outsized yeah. influence on, on the public discourse. Yes. And it's, it's hilarious. It just makes me think like what, I wonder if they could do like a Bond, the next Bond movie with like a guy who runs his own social media. <laughs> Bond has to become a shit poster and like infiltrate. <laughs> Organises an in-life meetup of tweets, tweets. Oh God. Remember the early days of Twitter when you'd have like Twitter meetups? Like I went to one, God, back in, I think. Oh, you went, to, went. you went to B-Tub? I went to a B-Tub or a Twitter meetup or a Twitter festival or something. Twister. I was always working in the mornings when, when B-Tub was on, so I never got to go. I'd, well, I don't think I went to that then. I went to an evening, like a little mini festival that had some live performances, like live music. And oh, wow. I was encouraged to hashtag. Yeah, it was at the old Metro Arts in the city and they had burlesque dances. <laughs> sure. Of course they did. <laughs> of course they did. And um, yeah, other things like that. And there was this, weird, I remember going like, oh, I'm not one of the popular Brisbane tweeters. <laughs> there was this whole movement for a while where I remember being really jealous of other people who had like, we're the Brisbane tweeting group and we have- There, there, was, a, there was a group of, there was a group of people, who, several of whom we know, so I'll be careful here, but I mean like- oh, you do know, we? Uh, well, I mean, you know, several people are now prominent <laughs> um, journalists themselves or oh, media personalities, but I mean- there were, there were there was definitely a cohort of people who sort of set themselves up as where the Brisbane tweeting the Brisbane Twitter Urban Brigade, which is what um, Btub. Oh, that's what it stood for. for. That's right. Um, it was this weird like they were the first ones to do it, so I guess they're it. Like you know, it was it was <laughs> the first movers' advantage. Yeah, it was a weird time. It was a weird time. That was sort of the late two thousands, early twenty tens. Yeah, it uh, was. And before Twitter became the behemoth cultural force it, it, it became yeah and i really think that that sort of changed i think with gamergate 
I think was sort of the the turning yeah, point, yeah. maybe of Twitter's like influence. Or, or, well, yeah. of its change into having a more slightly more malevolent, darker side. I'm sure it was always there, but it became yes. more obvious with GamerGate, and it became it became this whole like the virality of tweets and stuff became much yes. more of a thing around 2013, 14. Because before that, it was much more. Know, well, seem more innocent. Perhaps. All of the stuff that we currently think of as like cancel culture basically started on Twitter. A lot of it started on Tumblr. This is what um, I think. I think but, that you know. I think that the subcultures were yes. all Tumblr based. Yeah. Yes, you know, and then they sort of like, they sort of fed out into the wider yeah. social media. Very very specific language, and I've been listening to a few mm. podcasts and things about that. But like this very specific language that is Tumblr, yes. then kind of expanded and went into the Twitterverse, and to a lesser extent, I guess Facebook. Book. But um, yeah, it, it, Tumblr seems to be a starting point for the really niche stuff, which then is able to get onto Twitter and then amplified by the people with kind of big followings. On yeah, Twitter. absolutely. Yeah. Because like celebrities and stuff weren't really on Tumblr, except Taylor Swift, apparently. But um, things get onto Twitter and then they can be mainstreamed a bit more through the media connections. So yeah, it's a really interesting ecosystem, the whole internet ecosystem. I'm sure there'll be books written about the 2010s as a time period covering this, you know, change in perception and Oh, absolutely. It's, and, it's, it's, yeah. a, it's a huge – it feels like we're on the cusp of something new for the first time in quite a long time, actually. Yeah. Um, which I think is really interesting and exciting and a little bit, you know, worrying. Who knows? Well, that's uh, the thing because, we'll you know, things can go either way. But, look, to, to bring it back to a positive side, we'll still be here. We'll still absolutely. be podcasting. You can find Raven On now on Spotify. <laughs> just look it up. It's Raven On colon a pop culture podcast. Maybe I should just retitle it Raven On. I just wanted to give it some context, but that might make it harder <laughs> to find. I don't know. But yes, Girl Clumsy, Disco Stew on Twitter. For now, anyway. For now, anyway. <laughs> and patreon.com slash girl clumsy. So thank you again to all of my patrons for your amazing support. It is at the moment, yeah, again, I can't tell you how much it's appreciated used very very carefully and wisely and so thank you so much uh Stu, we'll be back with the tarrant edgerton robin hood what did we say to oh didn't we used to say we'll see you in sherwood forest? we'll see you in sherwood forest <laughs> 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 ah, that's right see no laughing and no russell crowe didn't crack a smile no, <laughs> not once <laughs> <laughs> ah, see you russ <laughs>